to episode 31 of Zapped to the Past. My name is Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week we're going to be looking at August 1986 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 16 of Zap 64 along with what was also going on in UK music. Graham, give us the lowdown on what's coming up. In this stargazy pie of an episode, yes, that is a thing, we break out our paddles and say, thank you, sir, may I have another? With Superstar Ping Pong, get our 8-bit giddy on with the grainy and squintily erotic Samantha Foxtrip poker and get frustrated at the fumbling, blocky buffoonery of touchdown football. As if that wasn't enough. We get our bicolor spectrum-alike pants in a twist with core, pour a gallon of paraquat on the crappy, groovy garden and get all hypnotized with the screen savoury goodness of tubular bells. Finally, we grab our katanas by the hilt and become samurai influencers with the multi-character world of Shogun before gritting our teeth, grabbing our best stabby knife and flamethrower and heading into the rescue mission fray with a gleefully gritty green beret. Now, let me see your war face. Makana Matusu, let's press on before the Havitas get near. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only Havitos oh I know uh, the only oh that's dear it. I don't want that right yeah so we've got we've got a bit of uh, something to go on at the beginning here uh, because there is a game reviewed in this it's a 128 only game though which mysterious is a mysterious world of the Commodore 128K yeah so uh, the 128 what's all that about so it's a Kickstart 2, uh, which is in this issue. So it's one to eight only, but it's £4.99 and it got 96% as a sizzler. But in the grand scheme of things, this really is nothing more than almost downloadable content. It's early downloadable content, it is, isn't it? It is essentially DLC, isn't it? Yeah, it's extra tracks for the uh, original game because yeah. they use the extra memory to shove in a load of extra tracks. All, um, all that, that whole extra 64K, use it wisely. There's so much of it. <laughs> yeah, well, they've used it to shove in, how many, what was it, another 18 tracks, 16 yes. tracks or Quite incredible, really. So there's, I think there's 27 tracks overall now in the game. So that's um, yeah, that's quite impressive. But it's just more kick. It's more Kickstart. Did they call it Kickstart Two? Is that the official designation for that? I think they did, but then they dropped that. I think. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, this is not the official Kickstart Two. That comes somewhere down the line. I think with yeah. the construction kit and everything. So that will come in at some point. Okay. I don't know. But yeah. So that's uh, we're not going to talk about that. No. Did you play um, any of be, the extra levels, that. by the way? Uh, yes. Yeah, I did the same. Yeah, there was I did it a was bit. it was literally more of the same. There was no additional game logic. It was just more levels. It literally was more levels. So yeah. if you like Kickstart with more levels, then go and buy a Commodore one to eight. They're cheap enough, only nine thousand pounds over there. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, all retro consoles at the moment. People yeah, have gone exactly. retro console what, mad. What what was the price of a Commodore one to eight at the time? I, I I don't remember. I just remember it being so know. 
preclusive that I remember thinking, why would anyone want to pay that for an extra 64K? But, you know, I don't, I didn't know really, I didn't know anyone who owned one or anyone ever that owned one. So there you go. Crazy world. No, I didn't either. It was you know, just one of them things, wasn't it? People... It, was, it was an enigma wrapped in a mystery. It was the Kaiser Soze of computers. Yeah, it was strange because you, you, you couldn't, I mean, this is one of the, I don't know, there were many games for the 1 to 8, but being 1 to 8 only, you kind of, um, you scuppered your audience a bit, didn't you? You're a, you yeah. halved your, your potential audience base by, by some margin, I would imagine. Halved. Cranky Bob, I bet you, you it was like <laughs> what, 1 in 9,000. Yeah, probably. But that 1 in 9,000 was very happy with their extra 16 uh, Kickstart 2 tracks, <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, so there you go. Right, that's that. That's Kickstart 2. We're not looking at it no. beyond anymore. Bah. Let's move. Let's move on. our first game our first proper game this month our first 64 game this month and that game is Superstar Ping Pong so here we go yeah so Superstar Ping Pong we had Ping Pong the other week didn't we Um, yeah we did yeah imagine imagine's Ping Pong we had that yes it was Uh, which begs the question why did they call these games table tennis I don't know do you know (laughs) any reason why are they not called table tennis I don't know I thought it was called table tennis officially I think it's called table tennis but these are all called ping pong you don't you don't see tennis games called you know international racket back and forth um, (laughs) or bat and ball uh, I mean football is quite self explanatory but ping pong is just a weird name for it you're playing table tennis yeah so I don't know why they've gone with the ping pong no uh, I have to say where it's a strange thing I don't know it must be ping anyway it doesn't matter it's table tennis slash ping pong isn't it yeah it's something or other anyway um, but it's Superstar Ping Pong now when I loaded this up I was doing other things and for, after a, a little while um, when I was came back to it that music had worked its way into my head um, and it was oh, like God, uh, yeah, doesn't it just n- n- nails nails on a chalkboard it was that music after a while but you know it's, at least it's got some tunes there's a weird range of options for this game so whereas Ping Pong you know the Konami one the Imagine conversion of the Konami one offered very little I don't even think it was was there even two player on that what's the two player I can't even remember if there was yeah, a two player mode uh, on that ping on, the, on, on the imagine ping pong I don't remember what I think I think there was I, I, want, I want to think there was but I can't remember honestly yeah I honestly can't think either so anyway this one's got loads of options whereas that oh, one was bereft so of options this one's got loads of options so yeah you can have one two or no players I quite like that too tired <laughs> that made me laugh <laughs> uh, you can play it from behind the sort of thing or you can play it from side on but if you play it side on you can only do two players player that's a strange thing strange um you can control whether you move the bat yourself or whether it's automatically you there can. are three speeds beginning normal and hyperdrive stupid um, not sure what hyperdrive means but uh, it's fast i guess uh you can assign skill points to various attributes like forehand backhand endurance mm. and all kinds of crazy stuff you can pick the color of the paddles of both yours and your opponent exactly. at what There's point loads of options. when you were going through these options did you realize that the fun was being drained out of the game gradually oh, that one can- that one came, option at a time yeah that came in a moment um <laughs> because after that it's just table tennis and it was a little bit drab i thought mm-hmm. um it's a drab version of table tennis or ping pong whatever you want to call it the presentation in game is you know it's pretty bare bones really there's not very much going on is it? it's just a table no. paddles a ball and some weird attempt at visuals around the side of it but nothing much to actually write home about I, there's no crowd there's no real sound effects beyond the bounce of the ball and that didn't sound particularly great no it's just really dull and yes. also I, I found that it was quite hard to control because no matter I what did. i seem to do with the bat and move my joystick and with the timing and everything that ricochet would go off in any direction it, it kind oh, of felt like didn't it just it drove me 
absolutely crazy. It did my yeah, head in. Even, I don't know if it's just serving, because I tried multiple times just to serve. Hand, all I was doing was pressing the fire button, and sometimes it would go right, sometimes it would yeah. go left, sometimes yeah. it would go straight. Absolutely. Sometimes it would just fly off the table. I have yep. no idea what was going on, so I don't know. I'm, I couldn't quite get my head around the the no. controls themselves. And and if you're gonna make a you know a table tennis game or a ping pong game, you've got to get those controls right. You've got to know be able yes. to position yourself and know your timing. And, and this just seemed to not have that. So I don't know whether it's better in two player. I don't know, but this got eighty five percent. It did. It did. That seemed very generous. It is for a ping pong very, game. Very, very generous. This and, and um, you know maybe in two player it's a bit of a laugh, but even so, it's still just bloody mm, ping pong table absolutely. tennis. And you know it, this, it, the imagined one. At least it had a crowd. It, the, those blue Mario's didn't it? The weird blue it Mario's did, in yeah. the crowd. Yeah, uh, so there's, there's just none of that in this. It's just very dull. Yeah. And if you like lots of options before a game of ping pong, then this is for you. If you just want to get into a game of ping pong, go play the Imagine one because for my money, I thought the Imagine one was better. Uh, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I have to say, I don't, I didn't dig either of the ping pongs if i was honest the previous one didn't thrill me because of it didn't always respond in the way i wanted and guess what this one didn't respond in the way i wanted either i just don't get really the attraction to it graphically and the way it looks and the way it controlled it just looked like ping pong which i think was an arcade conversion behind the scenes wasn't it so it just looks like whatever ping pong variant it was based upon and it does i just felt like like you if i went to hit the ball it was a bit like guesswork whether it was actually going to hit it back and in what way I know you could con- you had all these controls and all these settings prior to starting the game and starting the actual way you wanted to play and that's all very admirable and it did adhere to the rules of ping pong okay so it, this is a game that does we've we've I've said before actually in this podcast that if you're going to make a game like this make it adhere to the rules of the sport you're doing and it does it does all of those things I think ultimately it's an interesting game if you like ping pong and you've got to really like ping pong. I want to call it table tennis now because I'm sick of saying ping pong. Um, (laughs) You've got to like table tennis really to be able to get into it. It's missing so much of that though because it is just a one-on-one, one-on AI difficulty simulation. There's no leagues. There's no way you can do anything better. You can just play this game and I, I have to say if you compare this sort of pound for pound for the other sports game that's been very good in the past couple of months so let's go back and look at leaderboard for a second leaderboard did a really great way of simulating and enabling people to play golf this does not necessarily appeal to everyone like leaderboard did for golf so you could have done a leaderboard for golf but ping pong for people that just want to access this kind of game i don't think it does that i think it actually rules rules people out there's so many options to choose from that is great for people that like it and, and understand what that really means. But for average Joe Ping Pong, this is nothing. So I think it's inaccessible and it kind of ruins the fun of a game that you can just try and access. The inexplicable thing for me is the how 85% equates to a, a ping pong game that's kind of, it is reasonably multidimensional, I suppose, and that you can choose options differently each time when you load it. But for 9.95, I think it's quite an expensive table tennis game for the Commodore 64, and it didn't light my fire. But then ping pong doesn't. I don't know why I keep saying ping pong. Stop saying ping pong. Table tennis. Well, it's, well, it's called superstar ping pong. That's why. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, you know, you know. I've just got ping ping pong. But table tennis ping pong. At least it's not called. Um, at least it's not called whiff waff. Whiff waff is called whiff waff somewhere, isn't it? Is that is that yeah. or is that so badminton? That Boris Johnson, wasn't it? Either way, whatever, <laughs> whatever, we, whatever nomenclature they choose for a game of you know micro. And by the way, there is one other thing I will say about this outside of the rules of table tennis and all the other things is that the physics logic of this still felt a little bit wrong it wasn't quite right it still felt a little bit floaty and a bit it didn't quite work the actual the imagine ping pong game actually got that slightly better i think but mm. either way 
Um, it wasn't for me. I wasn't impressed. And I think Zap were clearly mesmerized by a ping pong game, 85%. But, you know, Zap scoring's gone so wildly arbitrary over the past couple of issues that <laughs> yes, it has, I yes. don't think it means anything anymore. So it is kind of an expression of a kind of, I don't know quite what that means. But for me, Superstar Ping Pong was a uh, was a bit of a no-no. Um, I didn't like it, really, the game to begin with. This just kind of compounded the fact that, you know, how to remove fun from a game, make me choose from 5,000 options before I start playing it. <laughs> Yeah. When I have no idea really what those options mean until I play the game, and even then I don't really know. So, eh, eh, for me. ping wrong. Yeah, ping wrong, ping off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. It's okay. It's just too many options. It's a bit yeah. boring. Yeah, yeah. I think for if you just want a quick game of ping pong, just play Konami. Yeah. Or go and actually play table tennis with a table tennis bat and ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do that as well. Yeah. I mean, that that kind of works for yeah. any sport game, I suppose. Yes. So yes. Um, there you go. Right. Anyway, however, superstar ping pong is one thing. Let's move on to our next game. Which is a, another sim of a, a, I don't know, is this a sport? Is it a game? Whatever it is. I'll tell you what it is, though. It's not very good. It's Sam Fox Strip Poker. Oh, dear. So, uh, did you, uh, <laughs> did you poker? This. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you enjoy your poker no. with Sam? No, I did not. There's so much <laughs> wrong with this game that it actually beggars belief. So, let's just, you know, it's a poker game and it's actually a five slash seven card stud variant. I think we call five card stud Texas Hold'em nowadays, but either way, it's a variant of that game, so it's poker. So, And I'm not going to go into the trials and tribulations of how to play poker. Um, you are dealt a certain amount of cards, and you can choose to bet on the outcome of those cards and certain pairings and certain matchings of the symbols and the cards have different values. At the end of it all, you choose which one has got, you know, you reveal your hand, and the one that's got the best hand wins the game of poker. In this mm -hmm. particular instance, you win then the pot of money that's been bet, and you you're play, technically playing the AI, so you're playing the computer against the computer. Crap, though, the computer be at least <laughs> at least initially to get you into the game because this is strip poker. So what you are represented with at the bottom of the screen is a deck of cards and the poker game at the top of the screen. I'm not exactly sure what you call the image that you see up there. It's a a badly eight bit digitized version of Samantha Fox, who was a at the time page three model for those that don't know what on earth i'm talking about it was basically a there was a tabloid newspaper in the uk the sun i think the star at the time and maybe others but then page three they used to have a picture of a young lady with their top off so with a with her boobs hanging out and sam fox was a particularly popular uh, model model a page three model who appeared in the said tabloid newspapers many 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 times so this game was in a top opportunity for your eager young game self to get in there play poker strip poker and strip the clothes off sam fox and hey ho at the end of the day you're going to see some sam fox boobs now i can tell you that there are so many things <laughs> horrifically wrong with this game that it defies the logic aside from the ai which makes no sense and doesn't really work and makes it really easy to win anyway sort of generally i suppose that's the idea you are presented with horrifically 8-bit scanned versions of what i guess were photographs at some point of samantha fox in various states of clothing and as you progress through the game and keep winning the pots various items of clothing come off woo, woo, woo kind of thing 
So the image quality is so bad that even if you squint badly and <laughs> stare at the screen, you're not going to get anything from that. The idea is that, you know, you end this game by seeing Samantha Fox's boobs. And really, this was an endurance festival to top that off. Um, the mysterious John York stepped in to do the soundtrack. A lot of people think that John York was actually Rob Hubbard. And I have to say, it sounds a little bit like a Rob Hubbard piece. And the player sounds a little bit like Rob Hubbard. And anyway, John York did it officially so john york music awful graphics terrible black and white by the way images of samantha fox in blurrow vision mm-hmm. and this is kind of a bad poker game strapped to that with the idea of trying to strip a pastry model naked this was 8.95 i can tell you if you really were that desperate to see sam fox's boobs you could pay a lot less to see them by just buying a copy of the sun which is about 35p um, and that meant you would see them in full and later in full color so you didn't even have to see them in blur vision i don't get the appeal to this game apparently it's the first erotic game to feature a quote-unquote real person so make of that what you will i thought it was shit and <laughs> i hated it so that's my that's my uh, opinion of sam fox strip poker but i'm guessing you loved it ad because you was a big fan of you met sam fox so this is all manna from heaven for you <laughs> <laughs> many years later i i happened to be at a gig <laughs> where Sam Fox was also at that same gig and I saw her and went, oh, she's quite small. She's small that's and, it. and she's a lot more colour than I remember her. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not nearly as blurry. But and that's the other thing. I only recognised her because I squinted loads. <laughs> I was like, she's she, like, what are you doing? she wore like, a hat I'm and like, scarf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then froze for no reason taking it off. Oh, gosh, oh, no. God, this game. It's awful, isn't it? It's a boring poker game. Yeah. I, my first comment is music by John York. Mm, really? Yeah, exactly. Really? Well, in in this issue of, the, of Zap, there's the musician's ball, a big piece on all the musicians. I think Dave Whittaker, Ben Dalglish, Rob Hubbard, they're all having a big chat and they all make a big joke about who did the music for Sam Fox Strip Poker, but I think we all know who it was, really. I do as well. Anyway, yeah, it's digitised visuals of Sam Fox. Awful, awful music. When I reset the emulator on this one, it was a soft reset and certainly not a hard one uh, so that <laughs> so it failed miserably um, i'm not sure I put, i'm not sure i'm not sure the point of this game because as you so rightly pointed out and i've written as well let's not forget sam fox and the parade of others were on page three of the sun and the star back then so if you just wanted to see some boobs all you had to do was open the paper each day for, for less um, for less or just go down to your local news agents and just open it up and put it back not that i ever did that not no no i did not that I you did that. cheapskate <laughs> Pay, pay nine pound bo- like the rest of us. <laughs> Free boobs. Um, <laughs> Froobs. Froobs. <laughs> Actually, no, no. I, I know someone called Boobs and he's in prison. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a war boobs. cry. Free it's a rallying him. cry. <laughs> so he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Anyway, it's just unfortunately I, named. <laughs> Bobby Boobs. <laughs> Bobby Boobies. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I can't see the point of this rubbish poker game. Um, to try and get see some digitised boobs. Just pointless. Just rubbish. Just a really, really crap, pointless attempt at cheap titillation that works in no way at all. It's not even a decent poker game. Um, I would have much preferred if they'd have just spent the time on actually making a good poker game and, you know, various... Because there's only one variant of Texas Hold'em in it, isn't there? There's only two, you know... There's so many, you know, there's only one flop. There is only one (laughs) flop in that game. And it's all programmed on eight tit. <laughs> There's just so much I can say about this game, but I don't want to. I don't want to give it any no, more time. Don't. It was, it was bad. It was a bad game. It is a very, very bad game. So Sam Fox Strip Poker is a... I don't even know. I'm not, I can't even think of a pun on that one. But Sam Fox Strip Noka. Oh, that'll do. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, don't play it. Good sake. Don't. It's, it's just absolute don't. dog egg. Rubbish. Yeah, rubbish. rubbish. Avoid. Rubbish. Yes, avoid. So what's up next? 
Okay, our next one is kind of sports game madness here. Touchdown football, um, a game I hadn't played before. Was unaware of this uh, American football game. Have you, you played it before? No, I'd not come across it at all. No, I'd no, not played this. This was nine nine pound ninety five and picked up forty seven percent. So half as good, half as good as ping pong, roughly. Um, and it's our second American football game that we've had in recent weeks after Super Bowl Twenty. It is. There's, so this is a bit more of a... Tries to replicate a more realistic view of the game, should we say. So it's uh, more some sprites and what have you, instead of the dots of Super Bowl Twenty and those replays. Uh, it starts off with some perfunctory options. You know, how many players, how, how long do you want each quarter to be? And then you're into the game. And once it started up, the game that I was reminded most of was that god-awful World Cup carnival. Yes, funny, I made exactly the same note um, because it just plays and looks exactly like that it's just American football I don't know who made this I don't know but this is terrible so it's side on unlike Super Bowl 20 you've got six is there six players on each side I don't think there's any more yeah, there six, yeah, six sprites enough. they were really really blocky I mean I've seen blocky sprites. They were horrible. But these these were really blocky, and the scrolling was unpleasant. It wasn't smooth. It was piecemeal, so it would judder across like like World Cup Carnival did. It was juddery. Um, yeah. It was really unpleasant. You know, it hurt your eyes because you were like you're never quite sure when the when the scrolling was going to kick in. So the sound was rubbish. Uh-huh. That terrible piece of music that played after the uh, after the initial kickoff was. Uh, awful 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 and it's slow when you start playing you've got some options to do some moves everyone moves about it's juddery oh this was really bad uh, this this was World Cup Carnival level. I don't hate it as much as World Cup Carnival because it wasn't ripping off an old game that I'm aware of. So no, no, that, that, le- that so. level of vitriol won't be won't be visited upon this. However, this is a very very bad American football simulator oh, Lord, old yes. game, whatever. So uh, there's, there's not a lot else to say about it. It's just uh, it's just a really really bad version of that sport. Did I pre- I'm presuming from your comments you were in agreement there? Oh, absolutely in agreement. This was awful, juddery blocky monstrosity that has no place on a Commodore 64. That was my review. I thought it was just devoid of playability, fun, it had no feeling, it looked awful, played slow. It was just terrible. And the graphics I think were some of the worst I've ever seen on a sports game. Just blocky things flapping about, no control over the game, no love of the game in there. Just an international football, international soccer variant where the physics of the game is just different and not working. Just bad. And for, for full price... Just bad, stupid. I'd rather have played. I mean, as much as I I was not the, what you'd call the, the biggest fan of Super Bowl 20, I didn't think it was terrible, but it wasn't great. I'd much prefer to play that than this. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So this yeah, is just, it was a monstrosity. And I'm tired of these crappy sports games that represent their sports in such a poor way. I mean, at least ping pong, superstar ping pong looked a bit like ping pong. But this was no American football variant. It was no plays. There was no real interest in it. There wasn't enough players on the pitch. It just felt poor. And that annoyed me because I thought, well, the least you could do is don't pay lip service to the very sport you're trying to present. Make it good. Make it work. Put the effort in. And this this game required no effort other than uh, a stupid idiot was given a bit of money to make a game. And and then, (laughs) then the result is this. So it annoyed me because I, I actually really like American football, have done for many years. And when I see a, a game that's represented that I like badly, it annoys me. A bit like the football game did with you, the, the World Cup soccer game did with you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I have no. It's it's not just a, for me. It's not just about the affinity I have with the game. If you're going to represent and make a game that's playable and charge people ten pound for the privilege, then do them the honor and the service of making the game good enough for them to really enjoy. This was crap beyond belief. So no, I think forty-seven percent was generous. I wouldn't have given it that. I thought no, this, I this wasn't half good. This was no. This I mean, I suppose one way of looking at it, this is fifty-three percent crap. I would give. <laughs> I would have given it a much higher percentage of crap. Um, it was awful. It was awful. I've seen that. You know, the budget games do much better versions of things than this. So awful, awful, awful. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to revisit an American football game, until we play the better ones, stick to the uh, Super Bowl one that we've already reviewed. If it's my my advice. Yeah, you get no argument from me on that one as, as, as weird as the um super bowl 20s representation of the sport itself was at least there was the requisite number of players on the pitch even if they were all dots but then again you've got a lot of players on the pitch in american football haven't you so you need to see six can't replicate them so they they saw a way around it and did it that way and that and had that very nice re- replay this is just pff, bad bad awful this i can't stand that scrolling i don't no. like games that no, scroll piecemeal i agree you know, no. the, the, scroll a just, bit play a bit scroll a bit play a bit judda 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 no no get lost yeah. no school days did it as well didn't it i don't it like did, it yeah there's a few that do it and you know what there's no excuse for a for a commodore 64 that has a specific uh, address in its vic chip for scrolling so mm-hmm. you know no excuse for it it's just bad programming bad yeah, programming i agree i agree let's, let's talk no more about touchdown football so no. we've talked of enough so let's talk about our next game Before we go for a break. <laughs> core. <laughs> core. That's core. core. Let's talk about the next one. Core. So the next game is Core. That's core. probably what they should have called Sam Fox's strip poker. Core. Strip <laughs> poker. It wouldn't have helped. Uh, it doesn't help with this, really, does it? They could have called it ping pong as well. Who knew? Yeah. So I'll allied to what the... My, I feel about the game and the way it looks at a moment. Let's just quickly go through the, the setup. Mm-hmm. In this game, asteroids have been colonized and they are protected by the Federation. And a load of aliens have come along and their mission is to kill all humanity, which is always the mission of these aliens in these things, isn't it? Kill all humans. We hate you. We don't like you for some reason. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so unable. if you're unable to figure out what's happened and why this has happened with the Federation, they send out the player that you are. The person that you play in this game is somebody called, get this, Mr. Andrew Angelo. <laughs> and he's sent out to gather attacks on the information. Uh, and one of the asteroids that was attacked in this awful business was Eroc 1. E R O C 1. Eroc. Eroc 1. So it's there's a called, signal. It's not, it's not core backwards at all, is it? No, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not core backwards. No, no, no. Shh. Don't spoil the fun. So there's a faint signal being heard from something off that particular um, asteroid. I'm guessing they've borrowed a lot from sci-fi around at those in that 10-year period. There's a bit of alien in there with a sort of signal comes from space and what do we do? So yeah, it's Mr. Angelo. <laughs> Goodness me. You've got to go find the bio-memory chips um, so that the plan of attack and alien armaments can be studied, thus saving the asteroids from the similar fate. So you're Mr. Angelo. You're walking around caves beneath the asteroids over these levels, and they've left booby traps and all sorts of stuff and things that will kill you all over the place, and you have a limited amount of power, and you can suffocate as well because you've obviously you're on an asteroid, um, so you can find batteries and bits of equipment, and you kind of get the idea of where this is going about the kind of things you need to do. So I found myself running around with a spade digging a lot in this game which gave me nightmares about games where i've played where i have to run around digging a lot (laughs) 
What games are those? Dragon Skull was it, where I had a shovel and oh, I had to run. Oh yes, it. yes, yes, yeah. So this in its <laughs> that's its that's its premise. Now that's a grand premise. It's not lived up to by the crappy old game that's behind it though. So it's a mono. I put it's a monochromatic slash bicolor spectrum esque wonderthon with big borrowings from Nodes of Yesod, but mm-hmm. crap all the way. It's flick screen. Okay, or I like to call it shuffle screen, really. It kind of goes <laughs> yeah. shuffle, 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 shuffle. <laughs> so you wander around, you bend over. I found myself be- sort of almost praying at things in this game, or periodically just going, ah, praying, ah, praying. <laughs> and I wander around, walk around, pick things up, and <laughs> boring, boring, wander around, pick up the thing, wanderthon, boring. So I thought it was unenjoyable garbage. You can't often have, we've seen, and I've made a comment on it before, if you are going to dress the game up in all of this, you know, flowery description and language and the E-Rock one has gone through and you are Mr. Angelo, and the more they tend to dress up the uh, the game, when you actually get to the game itself, it very rarely lives up to that. And in essence, what you've got here is a monochromatic wander around flick screen nightmare, which is boring as hell. So I didn't like it. Um, and for 9.95, it's a blatant ripoff again Ooh. so what was your thoughts on core yeah core. Uh, yeah flick screen spectrumathon something about andrew on an asteroid i did think this then sort of thing because he's andrew angelo uh this would have been better if it was angry anderson um <laughs> what from the <laughs> if you're gonna, uh, go, you gonna go aa but as he's as he is in uh, uh mass you know uh, beyond thunderdome um, oh, of course so he is, get, isn't he? He's, he's, uh, the, he's the right-hand man, and he's the guy who gets smashed into at the end. He's the he one is. who can't die. Anyway, but he'd be great in this. He can only have earned that name from being very angry. Uh, yeah. Either angry as an Anderson, or he's angry at, at people called Anderson. So watch out. Watch <laughs> out, know. Anderson. I mean, he, would, he, would, he would go on to sing the neighbour's wedding song, wouldn't he? Which is a weird, which is a weird turn of uh, career. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> which, I can't remember the name of that song now. Uh, I don't, don't. I don't want to remember it. But he went on to sing that. Um, oh. But he's, you know, it's just AA. So I'm just thinking, you no, know, angry Anderson in a, a, would have been better in this. Anyway, it's rubbish. I wondered about this flip screen menaced by stuff as you normally are. I was unable to do anything beyond move up or down through doors. I picked up a battery by praying at it, as you said, and then I got killed by what I think was some fire. Again, don't give me health if you're going to instant death me. No. I hate that. We've said this before. Phantom of the Asteroids. Too many games Um, suffer from it now. It's weirdly enough, Phantom of the Asteroids, by the way, was called Phantom of the Asteroid on its title screen, just as an aside. Phantom of the Asteroids in the game and on the tape someone posted a picture on Twitter I think it was C64 lad I think I know who was it was it retro I can't remember who it was but somebody posted a picture the actual tape for the game was actually ast- Asteroids <laughs> there's no, mm, no right God name for that game get your name right come on <laughs> yeah so there you go I can't remember who posted that picture but thank you for just confusing the matter even further <laughs> it's like well, what yes. is it called so core the main sprite is quite nice but the rest of the graphics are mm. just you know it's just it's just spectrum conversion of you know nonsense and I've noted why would you pl- I'm not I wasn't the biggest fan of these two games Nodes and Ark of Yesod but go play them because they're yeah, way better than, yeah, they're, way yeah. play- they're way 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 better than this yes they are you know it's a similar sort of thing or even uh, push play Underworld but I would say go and play Nodes or Ark of Yesod just pick yep. one because they're, they're much better they're very similar visually but they're much nicer visually they play strength to the C64 they have colour um, in their background yes they're, they do you know um, and, and everything like that this is so dull to look at I'm there's, there's some other games we'll be looking at in this uh, in these couple of episodes. There's just oh this, the spectrumness of it hurts me. This is not a spectrum. I know. We said it before. We've said it before many times. And in fact, it gave me kind of the monochromatic eebie-jeebies. When I see things like this, I start getting the whole ultimate 
play the game, fair like play the game, you know, uh, Firebird conversion sort of mm. it sets me into that kind of mode well, of thinking this- and I start to get, you know, monochrome sweats and everything. Yeah, this, do you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me again of t- uh, Tien and Og. Yeah, yeah, um, yes, yeah, Og, exactly. Yeah. However you pronounce it. So it's that, because you could go up and down through those doors and the, the map would have been oh, all over yeah. the place. But it's that spectrum. It's just, no, just stop it. If you're going to do these things, play, make it look like a C64 game and not a... Well, it, because once you're making it look like a Spectrum game, then I'll just play on the Spectrum. And there's a few of these, isn't there, in this episode and in this yeah, issue? There yeah, there are. We're going to come... Um, we're so, going to be saying this a lot. We should pre-record it. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should just call this the uh, Annoyed with Spectrum Graphics episode. Well, there's a reason to be annoyed with them, because they're stupidly crap. So <laughs> just stop doing that. Just make the effort. You know, draw multicolour graphics on a, on a machine that can do it. You know, yes. I, do it. Just do that. Just take make the effort of converting them properly. Go back in yes. time. Let's go back in time. We'll go and speak to the people that made this game, whoever it was. Say, do you know what? We're from the future. And <laughs> as much as we now have mobile phones and mobile internet and pornography at your fingertips on any device you can name that's that's by the by so we don't need sam fox strip poker for any reason and we certainly don't need this game core change the graphics to be multicolor. i know it was a long-winded way of getting to that point but i was just <laughs> i think we should set the scene for if we're from the future they need to know why because <laughs> we need to tell them that nothing much has changed but we live underwater <laughs> we could say actually we could say anything couldn't we you know we, we yeah, everyone we all live under under you know the whole of the earth became consumed by meat and we have to live <laughs> under the meat. <laughs> oh, we live it <laughs> under the meat years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was this, now, we don't call it AD and um, and things like that anymore. You know, it's now yeah. uh, pre-meat and you, post-meat. Y- yeah. It's which very, is the um, same thing. It's very confusing. PM and PM. Ve- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you haven't thought this through, have you? <laughs> Obviously not. But you know what? That's, that's life in the future. We don't think of the long-term consequences of anything. Yeah. Or it could be that we got taken over. We got we live under uh, massive pizzas, and so you'd have a uh, pre Domino, Anno Domino. Oh goodness, Anno Dominoes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we live under. Massive oh pizzas, massive expensive uh, pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, this is rubbish. Uh, this Caca. game is really bad. Yeah, we Caca. didn't like this. Right there, you go. That's not a good start to this podcast. No. Well, it's a good start, but uh, Superstar Ping Pong is probably the pick of those, and that's not saying much. No, that's not saying a lot, is it? That's, uh, uh, hopefully things will get better. I know they will get better. It's the C64 gaming equivalent of three girls and one cup. <laughs> and that's never good. That's <laughs> not because it's going to be an 8-bit. <laughs> oh, good Lord. No. You're going to have to really squint to see what's going on. Uh, squint, squinting at that is nothing. No. No more. Erase. Erase. Uh, that's it. To, uh, control or delete. We suddenly need to take the explicit content. We're from, we're from the future thing. and we deeply regret saying those things. We're going to have to go back and erase those things we've said. Oh, my God. The future is taking present in the past again. <laughs> It is done. <laughs> it is done. <laughs> footsteps. Bad footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> let's undo it. Let's let's end. For God's sake. That is the end of part one. We'll be back after these short messages, so stay with us. DavidHenWriter.com, where you'll find dirt cheap books and audiobooks via Amazon, Kindle, Audible, and just about everywhere. As one reviewer said about Back in Time for a Donut, it's a short, fast-paced read centering on headstrong Tara and her quest to end her sister's nigh-oppressive reign over Australia. Using her father's time machine, she travels back to when they were kids and attempts to find a way to derail her sister's future as Prime Minister. Unique and quirky, 
this read has plenty of entertaining moments, unlike Elite. Out now, audiobook voiced by Aussie star Lucy Dwyer. Visit davidhenwriter.com to find out more. Okay, welcome back. So now we're going to look at music in August 1986. Um, we've got a lot to look at here. Probably too much, but we'll see. Because uh, number one singles, let's have a look at those first of all. The first single we have, I think we spoke about briefly, is The Lady in Red. Yes. By Christy Berger. I'm not going to say much more about that because we know it's The Lady in Bread by Crispy Burger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's that. That's enough about that. Because that was then replaced after two weeks by I Wanna Wake Up With You. By Boris Gardner. I know so little about Boris Gardner. Or is it Gardinier? Probably Gardner. Uh, uh, it says Gardner. <laughs> Ga- Gard- Gardinier. Is he something from a French train station? I am Boris Gar- Gardinier. <laughs> Boris Gardinier. <laughs> so he wanted to wake up with you for the last three weeks of August 1986. Mm, he did. Three weeks, that he was did. the number one. Goodness. Yeah, yeah. It might be longer because I don't check September, so we might roll into September oh, as well. Oh my gosh. What was going on in 1986 anyway? Don't know. In our albums, we had True Blue was the first two weeks. We've already mentioned True Blue. We've talked about that. Mentioned previously. So we don't want to say much too much about that. We have our differences, but you know, whatever. Then we had in for the last three weeks, so alongside Boris Gardner, we have now that's what I call music seven. Ah, uh, the old now seven. Some big tracks on that. I mean, the lady in red. Krista Berg is on it. Of course uh, it is. Sledgehammer, Peter Gabriel, Invisible yep. Touch, Genesis. I've just put a few here. Happy Hour, The House Martins, Look Away, Big Country, The Edge of Heaven, Wham. So we, we actually mentioned all of those. So those are kind of top number one hits on there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No wonder people were waiting for these and just buying them. Yeah, yeah. they're impressive. They're impressive. And I mean, how many tracks were there on the albums in total? Is it about... 30. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know this because I looked at briefly at the the listings of other tracks that were on there to see if I could find any real quirky ones. But it's actually got things. This uh, Pet Shop Boys tracks on there. There's quite a lot mm. of contemporary of their time tracks. It must have almost killed the singles industry off, really. So yeah, probably bloody unbelievable, really. Is it not kind of shooting themselves in the foot? But there you go. We've 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 actually debated it before, haven't we? Hence the reason they had their own chart. I think in the end and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, they they got the own um, compilations chart. Would happen. It was around about nine. 1990, I think it was. Yeah, or maybe something earlier. like that, yeah. Uh, you, can, you can see why. I mean, with something like this, it's just like kind of taking stuff away from artists releasing solo albums, I guess, I think, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah, there you go. Anyway, so that's your albums, your top albums and your top singles. What new singles did we have of note? 3rd of August, uh, in at number 28 was Anyone Can Fall In Love by Anita Dobson and the Simon May Orchestra. Oh, so this is the one I thought the other week. Um, this is the one that is sung to the tune of EastEnders. Anyone can fall in love. Yes, it is that one. Anita Dobson obviously was ex-EastEnders. She played uh, Angie Watts. One of the main characters, it was the vicious victim, wife-beating victim of Den Watts, Dirty Den Watts, in the context of the show. In reality, she's married to Brian May from Queen, of course, who is a expert astronomer. And I believe, uh, what I've heard, is he's a keen guitarist, young Brian. So... (laughs) (laughs) On the side. When he's not doing his astronomy. When he's not doing his astronomy, (laughs) apparently he likes to, you know, play the old guitar. Probably needs a few lessons to get good. Like we all yeah. do, you know, but uh, apparently, and he's in some kind of band. So hats off to Brian. Well done. Keep practicing, Brian. You'll probably do well. I think the band's named after the Queen Vic. It is, yes. It all ties in together, doesn't it? So the band's named after the Queen Vic. Yes, it it's is. A, it's, a grand, it's a grand tapestry. 
um, that, that, all, that all weaves together to tell this story of people marrying themselves. And like any good Jedi, he's made his own uh, guitar <laughs> from uh, the things that he found around him. So bits of wood, bits of, you know, detritus lying around, a bit of paper, some cardboard. It's like a Blue Peter episode, some double-sided sticky tape for speed. And he was able to make himself <laughs> quite a fine guitar. Well, well um, I was thinking he was more like a Womble. Yes, yes, he is, yes. That was his, you know, that was his surname prior to... <laughs> to, to uh, <laughs> To, uh, Brian Tobermore, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, Brian Tobermore <laughs> made, made made his guitar. The red special. Um, there were other variants: the blue special, the pink special. Um, the pink special was a particular. <laughs> un, he didn't like that one particularly much. And yeah. of course, the uh, the orange Fandango. But the main one, of course, is the red special, which he famously made from a wardrobe. He also, from what I've heard, and this is just you know from what I've heard from people, very difficult to carry around a guitar made from a wardrobe because it's massive. Someone should have said to him, just trim it down a bit in scale and size. It needs to be guitar sized, not wardrobe sized. Yeah, you know. But you know what? He was committed to what he wanted to do. Didn't hurt his chances in Queen, allegedly. So well, the there you go. title for one of their songs was, uh, you know, fat, fat cupboard guitar. <laughs> and they they, cha- they changed it. Do you know what baffles me, right? And there's genuine. There's a genuine. The wardrobe is nothing but a fat cupboard. It is a big fat cupboard. Here's a genuine question for you: Where do you think, at what <laughs> point in the world, did Anita Dobson and Brian May meet? Where did that happen? Where? Uh, when, when did EastEnders and Queen collide? <laughs> Queen Vic. I reckon he came. He came to the Queen Vic because it was Queen, just on a goof. Okay, let's go there. <laughs> he probably like got confused one day. He probably just, he was, maybe she lured him there, like, the, you know, like, because he's a bit wombly with uh, some stuff to to make some stuff with. And she, she was, she was preying on him and she got him there. It's and, mad. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe he just disliked being voiced by Bernard Cribbins. I don't know. <laughs> well, the mad thing is, the last time I saw Anita Dobson, and I don't mean this in kind of a friendly, you know, I know her way. The last time I saw Anita <laughs> Dobson, she was in the pantomime at um, Hull, at the Hull Theatre, which was, I think, I want to say Cinderella. So she was playing like the Wicked Witch in that. It doesn't matter why I was at a panto. It doesn't, I'm not going to explain that, but that's where she was. And you the last kid. <laughs> the last, I know, it's, I, I, I was on my own. The last time, I wasn't really. The last time I saw Brian May, and I'm not a friend of his, so it's not like I met him down the street. He was on TikTok <laughs> playing along to a sea shanty. The world's gone mad, really, in lockdown. So who knows how they met and who knows... They're still. I think they're still married. I'm reasonably sure. I haven't Googled or YouTubed that, but I'm going with the positive because every time we've announced somebody's dead or died or a marriage has failed, it's turned out not to be true. And I wouldn't want them to break up for some reason that I can't explain the idea of an ex-wife-beaten pub landlord from a soap opera meeting an astronomer-slash-guitarist from a famous rock band appeals to me in many ways. Indeed. Well, I think what's ways. happened is their hair has become so entangled, they can never be separated. <laughs> it is. Well, they have the same hair because they wear the same wig. I think that's what it is. <laughs> then they married each other. They married they the same person. They did. Anyway, <laughs> anyone could fall in love. You know, even Anita Dobson and Brian well, May. Well, as an aside, if you if you take Anita Dobson as a, as a series of letters, <laughs> add a few, change a few... <laughs> move it around, you get Brian May. So it's not a perfect anagram, <laughs> obviously. No, it isn't. Not in any way, shape or form. But you could get quite close. You could probably have Benita you know, Oberon or something like that. And as we know, that was Brian May's name before he changed it to Brian May. It doesn't matter. It's just, you know. Benita Oberon. <laughs> La Benita Oberon. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm guessing from the letters I've seen, three seconds. Um, somebody will correct me on that. There's probably a much better... Countdown conundrum out of Anita Dobson than uh, than Anita Benita, <laughs> to be fair, which is just really taking one letter and you know popping that at the beginning of uh, the name. Anyway, 
Moving on. <laughs> yeah. There's Tanya Bodson. Well, funnily enough, Tanya Bodson. No, I'm <laughs> no, joking. <laughs> no, right. Uh, in at number 62 <laughs> was You Give Love a Bad Name by Bob Jovi. Yes, good old Bon Jovi. Good track, that, from uh, Slippery When Wet. It is a good track. It is. It was in so, so low at number 62. I thought it would be right, higher. It, it gets higher, I think. It may be. Um, but there's some, there is some, <laughs> there is some interesting fact. There is an interesting fact about... That track. Go on then. So, uh, You Give Love a Bad Name was actually, the Bon Jovi version is, as credited, is written by Richie Sambora, Bon Jovi and Desmond Childs. Desmond Childs is the producer of that album. He's a famous rock producer. He actually wrote that song originally for Bonnie Tyler. So, uh, but he, it, with the original version mm-hmm. wasn't called You Give Love a Bad Name. It's actually called If You Were a Woman, in brackets, and I Was a Man. And you can YouTube right. that. There's a YouTube version and you'll actually hear... It's not exactly the same, but you'll hear how the basic construction of the verse and chorus is essentially you give love a bad name in its tonality and its construction. Even stronger then, a most a recent track is by <laughs> Ava Max called Kings and Queens, which I, when I heard it on the radio, I thought that sounds a lot like you give love a bad name. That's weird. Ironically, that's also written by Desmond Child based upon you give love a bad name. So the, the three songs are actually the same song rewritten three times. Desmond Child's just making, you know, a, a mint off those three tracks. He's got one tune in his head. He just keeps reworking it. Three people have recorded that. It sounds slightly different each time, but it's essentially you give love a bad name. So you can decide, you know, maybe we'll post the YouTube clips on our Facebook page and on our, maybe we, we will should. on the website. You can decide which you think is the best. Is it Bonnie Tyler's version? And by the way, in that video, she's got enormous hair. It's massive. It's bigger than Bon Jovi's <laughs> hair. It's the competition of the big hair. Ava Max doesn't have the big hair, but she has the elaborate video. Very modern, very slick, very polished. Just go and check it out. See what you think. I still like the Bon Jovi version, so you know. But I'm a huge Richie Sambora fan. He's my favourite guitarist, so I am slightly jaded by that. But isn't that interesting that Bonnie Tyler sang the original version of "You Give Love a Bad Name," albeit with a different title? There you go. That is interesting. Thank you. There you go. There you go. I, th- I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're still listening um, <laughs> Desmond Child uh, is listening right now going mm, maybe I should record a fourth version <laughs> what could he call it <laughs> you give eggs a bad name <laughs> broken the shell <laughs> and you're to blame. to blame you give eggs a bad, a bad name, name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, number 72. The Ultimate Sin and Lightning Strikes by Ozzy Osbourne. Hmm. I couldn't tell you anything about this. I just thought it went, oh, Ozzy Osbourne's got another single out. Uh, number eight. Well, just before you move on, let me just tell you that uh, you need to YouTube that. No, do I? Because, yes, because if you ever want to wonder what Ozzy Osbourne looks like if he's eaten slightly too many pies, then oh, is uh, he? yeah, he's a little bit ample in that video. <laughs> ample. And, and I think it's worth checking it out. Yeah. As, as Ozzy Osbourne in brackets, carriage size. Uh, seventy-two. I will. I will give him a check. He's a, a little bit portly in that, to say the okay. least. He's still Aussie, oh and his hair is just wild. But uh, it's very Aussie Osbourne. But when I watched the video, I was like, "Goodness gracious, 
Ozzy, slow down on the old egg rolls. Goodness me. Oh, dear. Well, I'll have a look at some point. And at number 80 was Pretty in Pink, 1986, from the Psychedelic Furs. Isn't she pretty in pink? Um, A re-release. I thought it would be a re-release because it's got 1986 against it. It's amazing how they can count it as a new release. Maybe it never got in the charts previously. Yeah, it was off their 1981 album, so who knows? Yeah. Is a J. That's the one. Now, this next one, I, I put this in here. It is their, their debut single. It's just, I Just Died in Your Arms by The Cutting Crew. It's in at number 96. It is. So we'll talk about a bit more about this in the film and TV section in the next episode. So I'll leave this one alone for the moment, just that, that this one has particular memories for me for certain reasons. Okay. We'll come to that. We'll come to that in the next episode. Okay. Uh, ten, on 10th of August, Girls and Boys from Prince and the Revolution in at number 27. Again, another single from the Parade album. I'll take your word for it. I know very, I know so little about Prince and everything, I, you know, I just Girls just and Boys is from them. the Parade album, Prince and the Revolution. It's actually a good single off that, one of the better ones. It's also from Prince's directorial debut film, Under the Cherry Moon. Um, Very, have you ever watched Under the Cherry Moon? No, I no, saw don't. Purple Rain and vowed never no, to watch well, Prince again. <laughs> Purple Rain's actually good because of its live section, but Under the Cherry Moon isn't great. So just as an, just so you know, it tied for Worst Picture of All Time, Worst Picture Award with Howard the Duck in the seventh Golden Ooh. Raspberry Awards, but fortunately it did win the Worst Actor, which was Prince, and the Worst <laughs> Director, which was Prince. So not oh great. And it's actually won other awards as well in that. So it's it's considered a bit of a stinker. It actually made money. So it wasn't like it was a flop, but it was, uh, it was I think people were going into it expecting a kind of a new Purple Rain. And what they got was kind of the uh, the purple one from a Quality Street tin. So uh, not the same thing. <laughs> not the same thing at all. So. <laughs> the big purple one. Yes, a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, and at number 53 was Adorations by Killing Joke. Mm. From the sixth Killing Joke album. I didn't know they had that many albums. Oh, they've got, they've got so many albums. Well, the only because the only song I really know by Killing Joke is uh, Love Like Blood. But for many, many years, in fact, until only recently, um, I thought, I knew it was called Love Like Blood. But I thought the chorus said, it's not like that. And I have no idea why. I just, that's what I thought he was singing. It's not like that. It's not like that. That's what I heard. And I've, it was only recently when I was, I think I was just listening to it on YouTube. And I was like, he's not singing that. No. Oh, I've been wrong all my life. They're a strange Again. band, aren't they, Killing Joke? Because they sit in that kind of post-punk slash industrial camp a little bit. And, and a bit gothy as well. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. But I, I actually think that very much depends on the albums you listen to, where they sit. Because the later albums seem more industrial. The middle albums seem a bit more post-punk goth. Their early mm. albums, I'm not so sure. And this particular track, I didn't feel like it sat in any of those. I'm not sure where it lies. It was a bit, I don't know. The, yeah. the tracks I'd heard prior to this from Killing Joke were nothing like Aberrations, uh, Adoration. Sorry, So I don't know. I've not heard Thank the album man. Brighter Than A Thousand Suns. I've never gone back to the sixth Killing Joke album. I don't go back that far. <laughs> so so uh, that's no. too many. That's going too far. I think they were formed in 1980, believe it or not. So, you know, this is six years in from their formation. There's already been a lineup change, I think, for the live show, so I'm, I'm not sure. I wasn't a huge Killing Joke fan. I think it, I had a Killing Joke CD, and I think I got that on the strength of one track that was on a industrial compilation because I was heavily into that kind of stuff at the time. Mm. And it sounds nothing like Adoration, so there you go. Is this like early ministry? Yeah, yeah, very much. This is a bit early ministry sounding. Well, as in when min- min- when when ministry were a bit Tosh mode, yeah, when they were when yeah. they were going for their every day's ha- Halloween phase, which we don't talk about at all. <laughs> 
So we should yeah, we, well, we, we probably will. We talk, point, but... talk, talk about it more. In at number ninety six was uh, the fourth rendezvous by Yomi Elia. Yes, and you know which uh, one that is. It's the one that goes do 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 it's just a question of time. Yeah, not the greatest. Um, it's not the one of the better singles. Tracks, it's, that, it's, it's, it? a, it's okay. I mean, okay, Depeche Mode is still good, but it's yeah, it's not up there with the great. No, this will go higher. I'm, I reckon it's going to be number one. Soon. I I'm sure it's going to be number one. Don't leave me this way. In at number twenty-eight by the Communards. Yes, this was a, that was a massive song, wasn't it? Was it was Jimmy Somerville and his falsetto. Yeah, and I believe Vin, is it Vince Neil was behind this somewhere, or is something to do not with it? Vince or? Neil, that would be very weird. It was Vince Neil. <laughs> He's in Motley Crew. <laughs> I'm, I'm not him. You mean Vince Clark? Vince Clark, that's the one. <laughs> oh, oh, Vince Neil. Uh, I really wish Vince Neil was behind this. Well, it was all falsetto. It could be. <laughs> so Vince Clark, yes. Yeah, so Don't the- leave me this way. <laughs> <laughs> is he something to do with it? Vince Clark slash Neil? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not sure at this stage what Vince Clark is up to. Because I have a feeling cause a lot of these sort of... Bands I thought he was in where you've got, at this point. Well, he is, but I also think there's a little bit of this kind of electro singer with a keyboardist slash vibe that was going on heavily at the time, a la Soft Cell, Yazoo, The Communards, Eurasia, mm. uh, hate, uh, um, and there's many others. I think he's maybe part of that. I'm not sure. We'd have to do a bit more googly mm, googling for that. But anyway, so I actually quite like The Communards at this stage. Okay. Some of these tracks are pretty cool. Does, um, did the Communards come out of Bronsky Beat or did Bronsky Beat come out of Communards? Ooh, there's a question for Google because I don't know. Which um, one was first? Which came first? The chicken, the, the Communard or the, uh, or, the, or, the, or the Bronsky egg? I want to say Bronsky <laughs> Beat came first. I genuinely don't know. I could Google it right now, but you know what? I'm not going to do that. Don't do that. We'll leave yeah. it to someone. Someone yeah. tell us. No, that's... If that's you're listening, that, tell us. You know, I'd have to type in words and... Uh, to, no, <laughs> no, no. Do you know what you are? That's because you're a typical male. Yeah, just but yeah, but just don't leave me this way. <laughs> no, I won't leave you that way. You typical male. That's Tina Turner at number forty-three. <laughs> there she is. Uh, you typical Pickle male. You're a typical yeah. Pickle male. Uh, yeah. You can't can't say words with more than one syllable without breaking <laughs> them up into separate words. No, left a good job back in the city. <laughs> yeah, actually, right. Yeah, yeah, she does. Uh, then there was Stuck With You by Huey Lewis in the News at number totally 48. Totally forgettable bland core, isn't it? At that point, um, with Huey Lewis in the News. It is, yes. I mean, Stuart, I think Huey Lewis in the News had their, had their moment with, on the back of uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, and and then, of course, they feature in Amazon Women on the Moon. So there is that. They? If this is it, ooh, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. on the beach and yeah, yeah. is in the Selma, sand. Selma, Selma, bring me back. Uh, so, yeah. Go and <laughs> watch people, by here. the way. If you listen to this podcast... I advise you now, immediately, seek, find, <laughs> otherwise, purchase and or seek out Amazon Women on the Moon and watch it. It's not for everyone, but I think you might find something in there <laughs> that will give you a chuckle. If for any other reason, that there's at least comic stuff and boobs in it, so you're bound to find something for that. You're and bound also, to you'll probably get about 50% of... Yeah, all of a sudden, it'll all make sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... Very, very influential film if you're me and AD. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and no one else. 24th of August, Into Deep by Genesis at number mm. 33. 
too many windows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. There is. Because then you shut me all night long. 1986 from ACDC. Yes. No, uh, from that, Black and Black. No, that not baffled brown me. Brown. Yeah, but that baffled <laughs> me because that's also... And, and I, I, it occurred to me that it, it's actually also on Who Made Who, their other album. <laughs> Who <laughs> so, Made Whom? Who Made Whom? <laughs> you know, we're going to be grammatically correct about it, yes. <laughs> um, but it's on Who Made Whom as well. So I just wondered why they just, you know, it's like, oh, don't bother recording a new track. Just put that one on it. <laughs> well, they, yeah, they just do a different, slightly different mix. I'm sure... Um, what was it? White Snake's classic. Here we go again. Yeah, there is the, two. The, there is several versions the, of the, that. The ninety-eighty odd version in there, and then there's the original version, which there has is, got different yeah. lyrics. There's yes, lyrics different in there, guitar solo says, as well. Yeah, it's the lyrics that make me because in the new one he says like a drifter. I was born to walk alone. He does, but in the original he says like a hobo and all. And when I first he heard does. that, I, I laughed. I laughed quite a lot because that's because not what I heard. No. <laughs> And I no, thought, oh, you, you can't, you can't get away period. with that. <laughs> no, you can't get away with that. And to be fair, I actually thought the second variant was a bit like uh, a likening uh, the, the kind of self-loneliness he's describing to a, a by a buy stick chocolate bar. And I thought that's quite, <laughs> that, drifters are quite nice. So I was like, no, do you know what? Um, if you're gonna, if you're gonna mock like the a whisper, ju- I was born to walk alone. <laughs> if you're gonna mock the duo deliciousness of a of a dual stick chocolate bar. Um, then just use Twix because Twix has been around longer. It can take it. Drifter was in its early days back then. Now, don't be knocking, oh, d- and Drifters are nicer, I think, than a Twix. So. Yeah. And don't forget the new kids on the block, your you, you twirls and your spiras. Exactly, yes. So, you know, you know like a spira. spira. It, twix doesn't fit, does it? Like a Twix. It's just not enough <laughs> syllables, is it? It's too, it ends too quickly. Yeah, that's why they didn't choose it. So it just chose Drifter because, yeah. God damn it, Pick the right chocolate bars, bloody hell. Absolutely. Yorkie Don't. had too many connotations. <laughs> like a Yorkie, I was born to walk alone. <laughs> I'm like saying Snickers, nothing. Marathon. Snickers. Marathon's Whisper. too many. Yeah. What else? Yeah, I don't know what else would fit. Spyro like would Mars fit. But make no... Like a Mars bar, I was born <laughs> to walk alone. <laughs> like a fudge. Bounty. Actually, I've just realised how many bisyllable chocolate bars there actually are. Wow. Okay. If that's not Loads. the most boring thing to, for somebody to discover <laughs> ever, I don't know what is. Let's, move, let's move swiftly on, quick. <laughs> that, that, that's Graham's... Um, <laughs> em, em, what's the, the word? The, I can't remember the word now. Epiphany. Uh, epiphany moment for the uh, podcast. Yes, yes, I believe it was, yeah. Wow. Because at number 50 is Word Up by Cameo. Yeah. Uh, word Up. I always like the gun version of that song. I didn't know Gun did cover. a version of it. Mm, they did, and it's very good. Okay. Uh, yes, they did. Is that good the cover. only good thing Gun ever did? Probably. Just, uh, I always like that version of it. I thought it was good. I just never thought I'd hear the fact that you like a gun track come out of your actual mouth. <laughs> that, what, the, the, they may have had a gun to my head. I don't know. <laughs> this was quite the thing, though, and at number 59 was Rock and Roll Mercenaries by Meatloaf with John Parr. That, that, <laughs> that YouTube clip is inexplicable. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't it. understand it. My, I had a, I had what can only be described as a brain wrong <laughs> watching it. It made no just, sense in any I capacity. I couldn't understand Meatloaf trying to look sexy. I couldn't understand Meatloaf. <laughs> it was like a knockoff. Um, rock, was it? I, I thought that it was some kind of piss take of the Robert Plant video. Yeah, yeah, I thought that till it uh, was not Robert clearly. Plant. Robert Palmer. Robert, Robert crossed Palmer. my Palmer with silver. <laughs> it could be Robert Plant. He might have done something no, like Robert Palmer, the addicted to love. Because those women that were sat around the table in the video... Oh, looked, looked like, like it, they didn't were, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they looked like that. But then, yeah. then you had them with sort of slick back hair and trying to look sexy and John no. Parr and Meatloaf. No. Because <sighs> no, I can't think of Meatloaf without thinking of um, Robert Paulson from 
Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So in I can. Death, so in Death, he has a name. And if Robert Paulson went and made a video, that would be the <laughs> video he made. And it's horrific beyond measure. It's awful. <laughs> I didn't know Meatloaf could play guitar. And I'm, after that video, I'm convinced he can't. Well, I'm, I'm so. pretty sure he could. Um, but it just you just employed people to do it because you know he was just far too Loafy. happy looking, looky looking, sweaty and meaty. Yeah, well, he's, he's made. Of, he is a man loaf. He's, <laughs> me, he's, he's, a, he's a meat man loaf. He is all man well, loaf. That one. He's, he's full on meat loaf. He's all meat loaf. Uh, yeah. Where's the meat? Ma, where's the meat loaf? <laughs> no, so, no, 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 no. I thought that was weird. Really weird. It is a weird one. Isn't it? I'd never heard of it before. Um, it's a bad title as well. Rock and roll mercenaries. Just no. like, oh, you're trying too hard. In fact, you're raging hard. 31st of <laughs> August, Rage Hard by Frankie Yosti Hollywood in at number six. Uh, is Rage Hard off the second album? Uh, yes, because it's definitely not on Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. It's not. So this is the this is where the rot is set in, hasn't it? Yeah. Rage Hard is not a great song. No, it's not good. And also, it, because for, for many reasons, the least of which is that the lead singer of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, who up till this point been quite good, this is not his finest moment, is it? This is Holly Johnson's... Holly Johnson, yeah, he yeah. Sing, he sings the whole song in a kind of a deep register. It's really strange. It's like, yeah, rage it's, hard. It's really weird. It's not weird. a great song. No, and, uh, and it's hard to track down the original one that was released at the time because, like, in KLF style, there's about nine trillion remixes of it. So it's really oh, hard really? to find them. Yeah, yeah, there's loads out there. Loads and loads and loads. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, I don't think Holly Johnson would do anything good until he went solo with uh, Love Train and whatever it was. I like Love Train. It's solo stuff. Let's not get ahead of ourselves too far. It's, I wouldn't that, even that. Even that's not great. He was good in Frankie Goes to Hollywood. His latest like stuff. Um, a couple, couple of his solo bits are all right. Anyway, Wasted Years in at number twenty-four. No, Wasted <laughs> Iron Maiden in at number twenty-four with Wasted Years. <laughs> it's so it's just such a bo- I put it's just such a boring song, but only worth it to watch long-haired men play football briefly. So- that football <laughs> sitting, bit in the video had me that howling. I've been laughing for ages. Yeah, there's all sorts of sporting endeavours in there. Isn't there? I know, there's, there's a bit there's of fencing. Bruce, and... Bruce Dickinson had to play, do a bit of fencing because he's a he's a you know he's a keen fencer, as uh, what I've heard. Yeah, champion fencer apparently. But that guitar solo goes on forever. It does. It's... <laughs> and the bass is so high in the mix as ever. <laughs> well, it's Iron Maiden. You know, you know what you're going to get with Iron Maiden, and uh, this is actually oddly enough. It's I think it's not it's not a track I'd heard a lot. But on revisit, I thought actually this is pretty a pretty good track. Yeah. Um, it's typical Iron Maiden in every respect, but it's actually a, it's a bit you know it's a bit more self-reflective than um, other Iron Maiden tracks. I realised as well that their drummer is the flattest-faced man on the planet. Oh, he has, and he also steals a hat from a child in this video. Yeah, he does, and it was all a bit you know fun, fun, and and I would imagine and later down the line, I'm not sure how soon it is after this, but Iron Maiden tracks tend to go in straight at number one. Their fan base is that big. Hmm. So this is, and it's interesting. I'm not sure what album Wasted Years was off. I want to say, I wanted to say Power Slave. I don't think it is though, but but, but the Power Slave imagery appears in the video. So I, d- I genuinely don't know. It's Power Slave Dickinson. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's got the it? flash of the blade on Power Slave and stuff like that. So ah, it, okay. it could be, it could, uh, you know what? I don't even know why I know that. The long and the short of this is it's a kind of classic Iron Maiden track, you know, heavy on riff, high mic bass in the mix and lots of kind of you know <laughs> Bruce Dickinson kind of vocals the video is hilarious though when no it's that is there was some big hair going on in the video playing football the only wasted years that happened was me looking back on how often <laughs> I'd listened to Iron Maiden through the years thinking they are shit and then uh, and then realizing that I just wasted my life 
Yeah, so oh, you know, did my life. So and uh, yeah, exactly. You know, but um, you know, there we are. I was kind of, I was hoping when I listened to it, there was going to be a really uh, unsubtle rhythm change at some point. Um, but I was disappointed. <laughs> yes, they managed uh, to avoid that little trick, didn't they? they? Did. Those in scamps. 20, <laughs> in at number twenty-nine was "Thorn in My Side" by the Eurythmics. My thorn in my side. Good yeah. track. Good track by them. Very good pop track. A weird. It's got a weird chorus. I always think for that. To run away from you, run, run, run. Weird. Unusual. Mm-hmm. Not not for them. Particularly unusual, but weird. I can't remember what album that's from. I don't Probably know. The one we talked about, the one that came into yeah, the I think, the week. I, I think it is. I think, I think it's off that. But I would they, they, they didn't release a lot of singles, so it's probably the second and only single off that album. But there you go. In at number thirty-seven, uh, "Walk This Way" by Run DMC slash Aerosmith. Ah, uh, yes. So this was a massive song, wasn't it? This was, as you put it, yes. rightly so, sort of kick-started, well, reignited, shall we say, Aerosmith's career. It did. Which was a bit in the doldrums at this point. Kind of like what would happen with Hart as well, when Hart had the sort of big 80s bombast re- sort of comeback. Yes, So it did. this really did do... I mean, this this was everywhere, in every club sort of yep. that we went to forever after. Yeah, it's def- it, it still is kind of played. on the playlist, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a classic, this one. It is. And what's interesting about this is that the... I didn't realise till I looked into it a bit more that the... I mean, I had actually had Toys in the Attic, which is the album that it was from, the Aerosmith, original Aerosmith recording. I didn't realise that that was recorded so early. I didn't think that Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith was within 1975. So Walk This Way is actually kind of a revolutionary track for 1975 because it sounds like nothing else. Let's elide the kind of rap breakbeat stuff that goes on with Run DMC's version. That's actually a pretty interesting track in of itself. And that's Aerosmith's third album at that point. And this is actually, interestingly enough, as far as Aerosmith are concerned, where the rot was already starting to set in. So at this point, the band started to fall out. They didn't really like each other. And so, and it all fell apart on the live tours, I think, ultimately, where it all kind of went crazy. So there is a lot of disdain in 1975 in the band when they're recording this particular track and how it came to be. There's loads of stuff on YouTube, um, sorry, on Google that you can find out about that. Go do that. What's interesting about this resurgence is that it it really did come back with a bang. It landed Aerosmith back in popular mainstream in a way that was kind of crazy. Mm. Uh, and I think even uh, even I think if I was honest, absolutely honest, this was the track that got me into Aerosmith because I wasn't I never really heard much Aerosmith prior to this. This is the one that really put them on my radar back then. And then from there, I went to find Permanent Vacation and Pump, and then all the previous albums like um, Done with Mirrors and Toys in the Attic. So this was kind of the the single that really awoke them for me, and I'm guessing for a lot of other people too. And like you say, it then became kind of everywhere and even to the point where it was used in the film the lost boys so which was around about the same time wasn't it but yeah, yeah i mean yeah. It's, it's just a huge show you'd always hear it down a line out no 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 yeah when you, as soon you just, as you hear you that you know that kind of breakbeat you know and you know i think it was also as well it coincided very handily with having a very good video and MTV. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because didn't they famously in the video? Over. There was smashed through the paper wall. Yeah, they? yeah. And there's Run DMC on one side of the theatre stage, and yeah. there's uh, Aerosmith on the other. And Aerosmith hear them singing their song and then bash their way through. And mm. remember, I remember watching that with you on Raw Power slash Power Hour on ITV. <laughs> yeah, probably. I did. I remember sitting there yeah. with you watching that late at night eating uh, mm-hmm. crisps. So <laughs> I remember that. What flavour were they? I think they were. I think we were actually were they, eating w- skips. Sure, want Bobby spirals. Oh, it could have been. It, it, it could have been something like that. But I remember eating a lot of clatty foods. Now, just, just to say that we do say the name Bobby a lot and Bob, uh, Bob this, but there was actually a crisp maker 
that we used to eat called Bobby's. Called Bobby's. Bobby's Spirals. And they were the saltiest, vinegarest crisps you could ever taste. (laughs) They 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 had a lot of flavour in them, didn't they? (laughs) There was was all the salt and all the vinegar. But yeah, (laughs) I remember a full chip shop. Staying up till about half past two in the morning at my house to watch Power Hour slash Raw Power Hour. I can't remember what they called it at Mm -hmm. that point. But I remember watching it. Because um, as we'll come to later, this ties into this kind of uh, TV going, music box TV being on on ITV yeah, at this time. Yeah, but um, I remember watching that. I remember specifically watching that with you. And then later also, we watched the Aerosmith video for um, Dude Looks Like a Lady, um, which meant you were at my house very late at night. I was so, always at your house very late at night. You were, yes. We, yes. Were, we always were. Yes. So f- filling my bedroom with gaseous smells. <laughs> yes. I had to earn my keep somehow. Yeah, and I ended up bald. And now I know why. <laughs> And I have a luxurious head of hair. Because <laughs> uh, my bedroom was oh, so fresh. Fresh. <laughs> well, yours was pungent and oily. <laughs> pungent, oily and, and dripping with fart gas. <laughs> well, the thing was, as well, you didn't have any wall space for it to all to absorb away because it was just reflected back with a thousand oh, posters. posters. Yeah, I had no free space on my walls. Every inch of that wall space was covered in posters. Not all of them good posters so. i would say that 95 percent of them weren't good yes that's true later they got a little bit better with some of the film posters but at some this point posters, in time yeah. i think I had aliens the, one didn't you I had I the, an alien looking through my looking through a doorway i had the ninja saying galactic <laughs> eyes sharp as takagi ninja's iron claw see beyond um why i remember Bella. that not haiku because it's meant to be but it's not and loads of Halloween ones. Loads of Halloween. It's, uh, I've actually got a picture somewhere. It captures a little bit of the wall. Maybe I'll post that on the YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep saying YouTube, but it's not going on YouTube. Maybe I'll post it on the website. So anyway. It's most somewhere. Anyway, hold on tight, people. Because at number 39, we've got Hold On Tight by Samantha I have no, mem- no memory of that song, but I'm guessing it sounds like Touch Me, Touch Me, I Want to Feel Your Body. So it's I Hold it's Tight. Got of- hold On Tight. <laughs> I it's got loads of... Um, uh, denim in the video tight as well, fitting probably. denim yeah and, and probably cleavage yeah and number 48 uh wild wild life by talking heads it's, good it's track, not a great it, it's not their great track it's a good track but it's not a great it's track, a track by them. yeah it's not the great yeah um in at number 90 now i was surprised this was so low because this became quite big. i think it got to number one i think it went back it really up. did this was you can call me al by paul simon now i don't know whether this was whether it was the re-release that got massive or whether it was actually this release i don't know but yes and you put in the video with chevy chase where i realized that he's in fact a giant <laughs> he is massive or, well and or paul simon is very small both both that, <laughs> it could be one for of, me one of it was revelation i mean my experience because whenever my, i have to say my experience of paul simon up to this point had always been kind of piss-taking so i'd seen a paul simon variant in spitting image and I believe there was a Paul Simon sort of Mickey take, but I can't remember which TV entertainer did it. It might have been, might have been um, a little and large, but I remember one of them playing the guitar, but so, sort of sat on their knees, so it made it with shoes, so it made it look like they had really tiny and then a really tall. One. I can't remember who did that. Well, Simon and Garfunkel was supposed yeah, to be, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so they were doing bright eyes, but obviously Garfunkel was like a giant, and Simon was all. And then when this video came out, and I realised. Because Chevy Chase is massive. He's like six foot seven or something crazy. He's really tall. So he made Paul Simon look tiny, like a miniature version of him. And then, of course, the song became very popular. And I think, is it off the Graceland album? I think I can't remember. It possibly is. It but... is, yeah. Because so, that album was pretty massive in the mid-80s. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah massively popular album. Um, but And that song, particularly, even now, every now and again, it's played on the radio. So it's, it's still a big track, I think. It is. That's why I was surprised it only went in number ninety. But and I don't know whether I don't know whether it was a re-release 
that made it big or whether this will just climb up. I suppose we will see over the next few weeks. We will see how it plays out for Mr. Simon. Indeed. Uh, That's your singles. What we got for albums? 3rd of August, Rat in the Kitchen by UB40. Yes. At number eight. What are we going to do? There's a rat in me kitchen. (laughs) I don't know. That's the the only bit I I know. I thought I should mention it because it was a new album and at number eight, I I don't (laughs) like UB40. Because at number 10, there was Flaunt It by CC Sputnik. Oh, no. We spoke about them before. I have literally almost no memory of Zig Zig Sputnik apart from the name. Yeah, I remember them being in the papers as this thing. Yeah. And then there was supposed to be this you know, uh, whatever thing. they were. Yeah. And they were yeah. supposed to be all outrageous and, oh my God, lock up your daughters and all this kind of yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. And then they were just crap. But hey ho. At number 21, we had Orgasmatron from Motorhead. I didn't nothing, YouTube I'm, it. <laughs> I don't want to think of anything orgasmic about Motorhead and Lemmy. No, it's just, no. It's just an awful thought. No, with that big sort of war on his face. No. I mean, bless him. He's, you know, he's, he's passed on. He's, I'm he pretty has sure sadly he has passed, passed on, away. I, I'm yeah, right about has. that one. Just, yes. con- just consider I think everyone's dead. <laughs> <laughs> that we talk about and then it doesn't matter because that could yes. be wrong or right well in Everybody that particular me, <laughs> is schrodinger <laughs> in that particular instance with uh, paul lemmy you are 100 percent accurate and sad- yeah. he sadly passed away leaving a legacy of many many tongued women and many 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 <laughs> Orgas- uh, orgasmically controlled orgasmatrons and many great tracks behind him some not so great, but you know I'll forgive them all for things like Ace of Spades and many many others. So, tenth mm-hmm. uh, of August we had the Bridge it was the only new album of any note from Billy Joel in at number thirty eight, and it was his tenth album. Ten, 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 ten albums. <laughs> ten. You were shocked. You get shocked that he's got ten albums out of this ten. point. I was I was shocked that he's got ten albums because I think to myself when I think Billy Joel I think Uptown Girl, which is must be the one think- with Uptown Girl on it. No, it's not. This is no, this is this is no, it's not. That's okay. what, but I'm like, how many albums does somebody have before they have a hit? You know, but he was huge in America and Canada, I think. So Uptown yeah. Girl and the follow-up to Uptown Girl, which was, I can't remember the name of that single, but, and then of course the famous one for Billy Joel is the, you know, we didn't start the fire, isn't it? That's the kind of the one that everyone remembers it's him can, for. Uh, big in Canada Girl. sort of thing. They call, they call him uh, Canada's uh, Elton John. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> and the irony of it do, is, by the way, <laughs> in, <laughs> I think they should. And um, in the song, We Didn't Start the Fire, by his own explanation, he clearly did start all those fires. So it's a song about a guy admitting that he's a, he's a you know, a, a pyromaniac. And I embrace that and admire it. Anyone that sings songs about their own deficiencies, that's always good. No, but he could have just called it, I have set fire to things and set people on fire and it's horrible. But no, he made a jolly song about it. Good on him. Good on him. Well done, sir. Well done. Like the prodigy did. They were honest. He was a twisted fire starter. He was. Indeed. Uh, 17th of August, straight in at number one, was now That's What I Call Music 7. Yeah, of course it was. But keeping, uh, well, there was one at number two, but at number three, there was Dancing on the Ceiling by oh, Lionel Richie. Lionel Rich T. Good yeah, old Lionel, Lionel Rich T. Lionel Rich T. He was Dancing on the Ceiling, he was. Yeah, it's, uh, a, nice, it's a nice song. It's nice. It is. It? I don't know nice. what else is on the album, but I know that track. Everyone knows Dancing on the Ceiling. Yeah, yeah. What a feeling. <laughs> when you're dancing on the ceiling, indeed. 24th of August and number six was Silk and Steel by Five Star. There they are. Five Star. Are. Yep. There they are. And Kicking Against the Brick pricked against at number 89 with as Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I don't Are you listen to a lot of Nick Cave. Uh, not a fan of them? I, I know one track, which is the one he did with Kylie, and I don't think that's with the Bad Seeds. I think that's Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue. That's mm. sad, isn't it? I have a feeling it's probably got some really great stuff out, but I don't know even what it would sound like. Yeah, Nick Cave is one of those. I've listened to some bits and bobs, but never it's never sort of gelled with me. It's never connected, so... 
uh, you know, it's just one of those artists yeah, that is very well everybody. renowned, but but it's not for me. I think it's just something about it. Uh, it's not for me. But he was in it there at number eighty nine in uh, nineteen eighty six. Thirty uh, first of August in the army now from status quo straight in at number seven. It's not the greatest status quo moment. Yeah, it's not good. That it's not great. Mm. We're in the <laughs> army now. Mm. Yeah, no, no more. No, I'm not going to no say more. any more about it. <laughs> Life's rich pageant is a final album uh, by REM at number forty three. Is that uh, which album? Where does that fall in their lineage I think of the, albums? That's their fourth or fifth. Whoa, okay. Like, so. um, like. Killing jokes, something they started early eighties, eighty eighty one. Yeah, it's just um, it's just. So that's I didn't recognise any tracks off it. I looked at it and I was like, I don't know any tracks off this. No, and uh, it just means it's the fifth album from REM I can ignore because I don't like <laughs> REM at all. So I know. No, just, you're not an REM fan. No, I am not. Um, okay. I I think that if you put REM on a colour chart and went like a bit like you do with a colour wheel and looked at the opposite of what REM are in terms of their colour spectrum, music spectrum, you would see ministry and that's where I like. That's what I liked. So you Yeah, know, but they... on a colour on a colour wheel you want things that are opposite to sort of really make them both spark. So you, if you put ministry and REM on a on a you know in a bill together, that'd be uh be quite the night. Well if you think of um REM sang it's the end of the world as we know it and ministry sang, you know, New World Order and songs that were basically about destruction and death and it actually sounded like it with them. Um so you no know, Songs like Breathe by Ministry and stuff like that, they appealed more to be to me as a kind of end of the world soundtrack than REM's twee twiddlings of it's the end of the world as we know it. Give me Ministry's version. Now, this is the world. Da, 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 da. It's not working. <laughs> da, da, you know, much more obvious. That, that appealed to me more than REM's kind of twee diddlings. But you know what? People like REM, they do. What does REM stand for, actually? Well, I guess it's rapid eye movement, isn't it? Stupid name for a band that doesn't make sense. Well, it's when you're dreaming, isn't it? When you're in your wake, it's dream state. You have rapid eye it movement. Could be, could be rapid egg movement. That would be more interesting. It, it could be. It could be. Rancid egg, mo- rancid egg movement. The deliberate transport of, of eggs at speed. Anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've gone mad. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so anyway, so yes, yeah, so there you go. That was that. I didn't think much to that uh, REM track, but that's me. That's you, right? On that note, let's uh, end the music there because uh, we've talked about a lot of music. Uh, that's your music there for August 1986. Stay with us. We'll be back after this message uh, with the last section uh, of games for this episode. See you in a bit. And a shout out to our sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you'll find bargain books and audiobooks. As one reviewer said about the case of the notorious roboticist, I highly recommend this novel. It has some truly amazing world building. It is fast paced and well written with plot twists and turns the whole way through. A truly awesome read. Dave's podcast pick is Shogun. He loved playing as Bandit Blood with Yoko in tow, knocking off the nobles to stop them becoming Shogun as he befriended, bribed and bashed his way to the top. His rating, 98% and a gold medal. The ninjas are on their way, Dave. Okay, welcome back. It's the last section, so let's get on with these games. We've got a budget one next. It was £1.99 and it's still only got 9%. So, uh, yeah, this is Groovy Garden. Eek. 
<laughs> I don't even know where to start with this one. Um, what I don't want, though, is a game to tell me to press spray to play um, <laughs> on the title screen. It was just all wrong. It was horrible. I, was like, oh. <laughs> I didn't get very far in this. What the, I didn't know what it is. It's some kind of vegetarian, vegan-inspired, Greenpeace-style Space Invaders Galactians knockoff thing mm. to me it's felt like someone's first game like let's make a it game was. and so you've got blocky enemy sprites with two frames of animation a shot up by what looks like a turkey baster from the bottom of the screen <laughs> as these there's supposed to be these uh, are they supposed to be like germs or vegan what are they th- things floating about they're supposed to be some kind of vegetarian nonsense they are creatures and, and i don't say vegetarianism is nonsense i say they are veg- they're, they're just things they're just these it's all to do with gardening and and uh, it's just rubbish it's a, it's a shoot 'em up. It's a single screen, you know, shoot 'em. You, there's these ferns that are growing that you've got to keep your uh, something topped up. It, it's rubbish. It's one of the. It's yeah. a terrible, terrible game. It's terrible sound effects. The graphics were crap. You know, one ninety nine and thirty five years later, and the still game still annoyed me. It does nothing. I'm not going to say too much about this because I didn't play it for very long because I didn't want to. Um, it just <laughs> felt, you know. <laughs> I had about two goes out. I was like, that's enough. I'm done. I'm not wasting my time on this crap. Mm-mm. And it was crap. It was utter rubbish. Um, it just just feel like no point. It, weirdly enough, there's a garden. It, there's like some bloke walks out at the beginning, like it looked like he's mowing the lawn. So I felt like it was going to be some kind of weird hover bobber type nonsense. But it wasn't. It was worse. A lot, lot worse. Did you enjoy it? No. I thought it was utter shit. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I'm not going to go on about it too much at all. I'll just say that... Um, the idea of the game was that you... I, I thought it looked like a syringe. Or, conversely, like the, some kind of uh, pump that people use to do enemas with. Um, or a turkey baster. Or a turkey baster. Any of those options would or apply. Or a turkey, you know, anything. So you, it is yeah, just whatever. a shoot up with those kind of... With a graphic change. So instead of aliens, you've got whatever the hell those creatures are. You're in a garden and you could fire a spray gun of sorts. But it's actually not that. It's kind of an injection, I think, or a syringe. Mm-hmm. And... You've actually got to let you've got to shoot them for long enough for, for for pine trees to grow, albeit very tiny pine trees to go at the bottom of the garden. I'm still not 100 percent sure why a blind manic miner guy walked across the bottom of the screen at any point or how that related to it. Likewise, I'm not sure exactly how my energy levels were interlinked with this game. Or it made no sense whatsoever. I just thought it was utter crap. It had really crap graphics. It was just it. Was, I felt like it was a really bad and blocky and rubbish, unsuccessful version of. The Spectrum game, psst, which I think was an early Ultimate game. So it was just crap. Yeah, and 9% yeah. was generous, I thought. This was just... I think I actually have to say, I think it was one of the worst games we've ever played on this podcast. It was utterly awful. Yes, it was terrible. And, uh, you know, I, another thing that annoyed me about it, I don't like single-colour sprites mixed with multicolour sprites. No, 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 no. Pick a graphic style and stick with it. Pick yeah, one. You're well, gonna, just, you know, you know, cook, do it. Make everything. Yeah, if you know the, the sprites that were bouncing about, okay. But if you were uh, what you were shooting them with, had more colour in it rather than some high res syringe, it just was all. Uh, yeah, I, this just just felt like to me like somebody had made it and they went, oh, that'll do. Just stick it out for two quid. There yeah, you go. Absolutely, it's fine. Absolutely, people will buy, people will buy it. Yeah, it had weird anomalies in this game. I didn't realise until I looked into it that it's actually got some kind of faith system. So. If the sleep, yeah, sleeping gardener yeah. wakes up and he lights his window up, then your faith is restored. I don't, I don't get what even that even means in the context of growing <laughs> pygmy pines and shooting creatures. Just sod off with this stupid game and never make it happen again, never ever. And yeah. no matter how much you know, and even that opening screen with that word groovy kind of wobbling around with sprites, just no, no. I've Ugh. seen far too many demos that do that better. Just get lost, you stupid crappy game. 
Yeah, gravy garden. Yeah, that, absolutely. That'd be more interesting. Put it in um, a grave. But at least this one was a game, not much like our next one. No. Now we have we, No. <laughs> we have spoken about this briefly before because we mentioned it and you went off and played it. I, I say played in, in massive bunny ears inverted commas. Uh, this is Tubular Bells. Um, so we had we, we spoke is. about this with the crapvert and you in, went off and investigated it and we wondered if it was ever going to get released and reviewed. And well, here it is. And for some reason, it's got 44%. I am of absolute... I don't understand it, but I know you told us about this before, but what's Tube of the Bells, Graham? Let's just do it very quickly because it, there's no game here. This isn't a game. Um, this is essentially a a editable or a configurable screensaver for the Commodore 64 that plays graphical images a la kind of lines flitting about the screen, multicolored lines and effects, and kind of like the visualizations you used to get on things like Winamp, if you remember mm-hmm. that, and that kind of thing. So it's that. It does that on an 8-bit version. All to the beautiful sound of an 8-bit version of Tubular Bells. So, and you can change the sort of, so you get a list of commands at the beginning of this. So I, I don't get how this got 44%, because and, and I certainly don't understand how anyone had the stones to charge 795 for this. But essentially, it loaded up, and you could then choose very... It gave you kind of a list of keyboard controls and things that you could change the visualizations as the music played. And that's it. There's nothing more to it than that. Um, It's just a visualization of of an 8-bit version of Tubular Bells. The music in this was by Graham Jarvis and Rob Hartshorn. They're not names I'm super familiar with, but they also, just so you know... Did the music for Ian Botham's Test Match, <laughs> uh, the recent Fairlight game that we looked at, uh, the Blade Runner game based on the soundtrack of the film, which we did make a point of saying the music was shite. Mm-hmm, we did. And the Rocky Horror game on the C64. So, yeah, it's not what you'd call a great thing. Um, so this is just a graphic experiment, really. And it's playing on the back of... And now, I, I can't remember when Tubular Bells was released. I think it's a long time before this. So, but Cheap of the Bells is one of those albums, those, it's obviously by um, Mike Oldfield. It's one of those albums that kind of disappears and reappears and disappears and reappears and disappears. It's kind of, because it is genuinely quite an innovative, uh, innovative, 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 good album. And it's quite interesting and it's beautiful and the whole recording of it and the fact that he's a multi-instrumentalist, there's, there's so much meat on the Tubular Bells bones that you could go and dive into that. My mm-hmm. advice would be, my advice would have been don't spend 7.95 on a C64 graphic thing unless you're planning on having lots of house parties and this kind of thing might have wowed you know, your party guests back in 1986. Just get the album. Go and buy the album and play it. it for, at this point in time, it probably wouldn't cost much more than that on vinyl or on tape or whatever. And you'd have had a nice, interesting experience listening to ch- the real Tubular Bells instead of this kind of crappy version. So it's, it's just, there's no more to it than that. I, I can't, I can't genuinely give this a gaming review and say it's super playable because you can just change the options of what you see on the screen, speed things up, slow things down, change it from lines to dots and different colours. It's kind of a screensaver. Mm. But maybe in 1986 it was revolutionary. I don't know. I it, it never came across my radar before, and I've and I've listened to you know most of the Mike Field output you know from from way back then and all the way through to Tubular Bells and the many variants of the sequels and things. So. 
Did you play it and get? Th- did you sit there and chill out with it? Or? <laughs> I did not. I did play it, but I didn't no. chill out with it. It's eight quid for an early visualizer that only plays one song. Yeah, yeah. So what, yeah. What's, what's yeah. good about that? And the Two of the Bells came out in 1973, yeah. by the way. Right, I was going to say, I knew it was way earlier yeah. in this because it's, it's famously the record that made Virgin yes. Records, yeah. yes. isn't it? It's, you know, it's famously... But I said there's a really interesting potted history to Tube of the Bells. There's nothing to do with this game. Why this came out so long later and in this way and what it's all about, I don't know. But I have a feeling, a funny feeling, that the guys that were behind it, the music especially, they were just looking for old licensed music that they could kind of do a version of and... You know, um, mm-hmm. no, I suspect there are much better Commodore 64 musicians. The Mighty Bog just springs to mind immediately as somebody that was doing amazing versions of sort of synth tracks at the time, but also obviously all the major players as well as the Mighty Bog, you know, Ben Dalglish, Rob Hubbard, uh, Dave Whitaker, etc., etc. They all did great tracks. These aren't great. I'd have handed it over to one of the better people if it was me. You know, I'm not them, so no. No, no good. No, I agree. It's, no. it's, it's not just, it's, 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 it's essentially, it's just a Winamp visualizer, you know, on the C64. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just all it is. It's, uh, you know, listen to music, but it's just one song. I mean, I put, you'd have to really like Tubular Bells to buy this and you'd probably still be annoyed. I said, imagine, it, I mean, yeah. if you turned off the in-game sound and played the original while watching this, you might get some more enjoyment out of the album. Um, cause at least you'd be hearing the actual proper album rather than the, yeah. that version. I mean, it's, it's not terrible. Yeah. It's recognizable as two of the bells and it's all in there, but that and some way, you know, well, I can't remember what the, you know, you, you've got that as a free screensaver on windows. <laughs> I could do, I could yeah, do this myself just, right no. now. Much better. Yeah, yeah. It, it just seemed utterly pointless. I didn't. I don't understand it. I don't understand. No. What this is trying to be, no. do, or whatever. No. It's uh. I agree. Strange, strange, strange no. thing. Uh. Yeah. There you go. So that's Tube of the Bells. Let's move on. We've got a couple left. So what's up first? We've got Shogun. So, Shogun by Virgin. So, we've got a link there to the bells. To, um, it's by Virgin. We have. Uh, nice, neat absolutely. segue. Absolutely. So, uh, Shogun. So, this is a strange game, um, is what I'm going to say right now at the start. It's a very, mm, it's a very it odd is. game. So, it's based on James Clavell's novel, Shogun. And essentially, in that book, it's that's just kind of Stranger in a Strange Land story. If you, it's, it was turned into a TV miniseries with uh, Richard Chamberlain, um, mm-hmm. and it was a very, very popular thing around in the mid '80s. So here we have the game version of this. And so what they've done with the game is something quite—I'm not quite sure how to pigeonhole this because it's a, it's flick screen, but it's not a not so much a collectathon; it's a recruit 'em up. Mm. It's yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, very so, much so essentially, but there's some weird anomalies, some weird things to this game, which. And not like many other games I've seen. So, so this um, it's, it looks very nice. I thought it looked quite nice. Let's start off with the positives here. So, the the, the graphics yeah, yeah. are pretty pretty nice. The sprites are quite colourful. There's a lot of colour to it. It's using the C64's colour palette in very nice ways. So you've got that quite uh, every every flick screen is kind of a nice and slightly surreal and weird Japanese tone to it. So um, it, it kind of looks a bit unusual. It doesn't look like a lot of other games. It's certainly better than that god awful uh, Willow pattern. And at least this one is not on crockery. It's not based on crockery. No. <laughs> Oh, for God's sake. Sound effects are a little sparse, but they do the job. You can play as any of the game's characters, which I thought was quite interesting. So you don't have to play as the main character from the book. You can play as pretty much anyone, including servants, so the shoguns, the lord himself, whatever. Mm. So the whole point... Loads of 40 of yeah, them, Yeah, there I think. is. So you choose which one you want to play at the beginning. And then it says... Um, <laughs> and this freak... This, 
how to reload at some point because then you get the choice between game or demo. And it, oh, how long did that take to get well, it right? This is the thing, doesn't it? It flashes between white and red. So game will flash, yeah. you know, white, red, white, red. But this give, gives you no indication of which one is which, which one is the one you're choosing. Nope. So, yeah, I got it wrong, first of all. So I put in a demo and I was like, I'm not controlling this. Oh, I have to reload it. And it takes a little bit of time to load, so it was a bit of a pain. But yeah, it's a strange, weird choice. If I want a demo, I'll just sit here. Auto run your demo is what I would say. Yeah. That's yeah, that's just just me though. Anyway, I was also not quite sure. I'm sure it does, but I, I, um, I'm not quite. I didn't quite understand if your choice of character affected the game in any way about how relationships work. I wasn't quite sure. Then if you, it the, does. You, yeah, you can actually fill us in on that in a moment. Then. So the game though. So the point of the game is you've got to gain. My understanding is you've got to gain twenty followers to become the shogun. And you gain followers by going around fighting, giving people, giving money to people, and to generally, generally using conversations and bribery. You can pick up objects. The weird thing is with this game is how 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 you move from screen to screen because gravity has been thrown out the window because you just float about. There's no. It's it's yeah. almost like it's like they wanted to. It's like a side on. It's like seen from above, but side on. I don't know how else to explain it, but you move up. No, I agree. You move up into the air. You fly around. There's no, there's no walking along the ground or anything. You just move around the screen. But it's seen from the side, and it feels very strange to play because you'll just go up into the air. Yes. You'll go, you know, temples will just go off on the side, which really shouldn't be there. There's a kind of weird, almost sort of psychedelic weirdness to this whole presentation of this it's un- unlike it many other games and it kind of i'm not sure I, I think it's maybe a bit at odds with this sort of you know japanese shogun feudal japan style setting i'm not sure that it kind of works together it's just a bit strange i thought so whilst mm. you're moving around floating around and other characters are on screen they're doing their own bit everybody else is also trying to become shogun and they're trying to gain the 20 followers so you get you get informed of what's going on by this little sort of message message thing that comes across the middle of the screen which just tells you this character has killed so and so or this character has recruited so and so in the dark woods or the the new palace or whatever and there's all kind of weird stuff going on it feels like a flick screen adventure but it's not it's it's more kind of a bit more open world in that there's no set way to go around it you can go yeah. wander about and float around and do whatever you want it's all there's you know it's got icons as well but the icons are quite are not as terrible as they've been in recent games that we've seen they're okay they work quite easily and also as well you press the fire button the game kind of pauses so you can choose right what i want to do and it, and if you pick converse with somebody and there's another character on the same screen it'll say oh do you want to converse with that person you say yes and mostly they'll just ignore you or they might say whatever it's a strange game i, I, I don't know quite how i feel about this it, it, it i think it could get hooks into you if you let it but i think there's the thing what i felt about it was there was there didn't feel any kind of reward there didn't feel any sort of um any kind of progression all i got was like a some more yen and the number of followers went up it didn't feel like anything was actually i was sort of leveling up or becoming something or getting better it just felt like the same I didn't know how the combat worked, really. You just said fight, and then they, was dead. they were dead, or, they were, or whatever. It was kind of strange. It just felt disconnected. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of word I'm trying to look for here, but it just felt like there was something missing. There's like the component parts are almost there, but there's something... There's no oomph. There's no... I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but it just feels just a bit too... sort of Not dull. It's not the right word. But there's just something missing for me. I don't know. How did, how did you feel? What did you think? Did you enjoy it more than I did, or did you not? Or 
No, I actually struggled with it for the exact same reasons you did, which is quite interesting because I am a big fan of both the novel, the Shogun novel, which I've read many times, and also the miniseries, which I've watched many times and in fact watched fairly recently, uh, much to my chagrin because I actually realised how much it was awful. <laughs> but that's beside the point. That's not necessarily because of the novel. It's just based on the, its kind of tacky vibes that it was made on. However, there's some amazing stuff in it. So as you've rightly pointed out, this is the tale of John Blackthorne mm-hmm. and Toronaga, you know, and um, Anjin-san and uh, Lady Mariko and all of that stuff. And the TV show has got all of those things captured, but it actually misses all of the key parts of the novel. The novel is all about honour and respect, and all of those things are very important features in the book. So when you read it, you really get that sense of samurai chivalry and honour and all of those things and how treachery and all of those things are, are really an important part of the whole and sort of um, world of the samurai that's represented in Shogun. So I think that in actuality, instead of just being a kind of straightforward bash the samurais with swords kind of game, which they could easily have done, they opted to be more clever and went for a game that, where you have to try and create a list of followers or create an army of followers, and then for the second part, once you've got that list of followers, you then try and take control of the Shogun's tower and win the game. So I think they didn't go down the obvious route, and that's to be commended. But I think, like you said, very accurately, the problem begins when you get in... So if that's the premise for the game, fine. But the game feels a little bit kind of surreal. So when you get into the game, you're kind of floating around. There's 128 screens you kind of float around. And you bump into characters that kind of are also floating around. And so you choose from one of 40 playable characters that you can select from. Now that's And those are all characters from the novel and from the, mm-hmm. the miniseries, although there's actually more in the game than the miniseries that you mm-hmm. know of. They all have lots of sort of characteristics. So they fall into kind of nobles, samurais, peasants, servants, bandits, and priests. And they all have different kind of skills and attributed uh, things, and, uh, things that are attributed to those particular kind of characters that you play. So some are going to attract um, certain kinds of followers, some aren't. So that does actually feature in the game. There is that whole logic behind it, around right. that. Okay. The kind of character that you are very much determines the kind of difficulty you're going to have to get followers and also then to also battle and fight and do the things that feature in the game. Like you said, the control system using both wandering around with the joystick and then the fire button to then choose from the icons, which had kind of a nice sort of almost tone musical tonal quality to the selection so you could sort of identify what you were doing that all played out quite well but the problem is that the logic of the game was kind of trapped in in a more surreal view around and like you say it it never really felt like much paid off so you'd pick up objects that were strewn around the landscape that would have kind of an arbitrary value that you could use to send give to people or influence people or whatever but it kind of felt kind of meaningless and it never really felt because if, if you have no affinity for any or knowledge of any of the characters that you're coming across in the game, then you're never going to know how they're going to respond to you. Therefore, it all becomes arbitrary. So it's just like wandering around meeting Japanese people. It's going, do you fancy some cheese? Yeah, you like cheese? Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Follow me. I'll give you some cheese. Um, and then another one goes, I don't like cheese. And then all of a sudden it's a fight. It's just very arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And so your route to gaining those followers does not seem like a logical progression of actually building up a following. It's more akin to just randomly encountering people and influencing them in a way that is that you have access to. And I think it's kind of, it's failing. I struggled with the viewpoint of the game and the graphics. They're nice graphics, but I struggled with the view. I even said to you when I spoke to you about it briefly that I, just, I, I was having trouble getting my head around 
the view I'm looking at because it's 2D, 3D, da, do. It didn't make a lot of sense. Mm, yeah. And I can see that there's a there's hints and ideas of a kind of adventure that's different to what you would expect this game to normally be because it could have just been wander around with a sword and kill people, but it's not that. And so I, I felt a little bit sad that I felt there was a game in there that would perhaps really appeal to me as a fan of the novel, but I couldn't find a way in. I couldn't, I was wandering around, not really being able to influence, and I knew some of the characters and some of the foibles, and it didn't make a lot of sense to try and tempt the Lady Mariko with some with some things that I'd found. It didn't really work. So I think there's trappings of a good idea. There's lots of stuff behind the scenes going on. The main problem with the game, and I think this this was what it was for me, if I really was to summarise it, it just didn't feel like it was much fun. Yes. It just yeah. felt a bit boring. It felt like I was wandering around not really being able to do much. And that's a shame. There's so much good stuff that goes on in that novel. I mean, it's the first time, by the way, in... I think, I'm, I must say, it must be the first time in UK TV where famously towards the end of the miniseries and the novel, there's an entire ninja attack on the temple where John Blackthorne and Lady Mariko are holding mm -hmm. up. And there's an entire ninja attack on there. And the TV show is brilliant. You know, all the things you'd expect to see from ninjas as a kid, you know, shuriken stars, swords, people dressed in black, creeping up walls and dropping down and doing all cool ninja-y stuff. All of that happens in there. It's all amazing. And in fact, in the in they even blow up um, a bomb which kills John Blackthorne's kills Lady Marika, so it kills his wife Spoilers, at this point. Man. I think Spoilers. she is, or kills his. Oh, it's those more to it than that, <laughs> but that you know that, that's actually probably the worst spoiler of all. But don't matter. Um, <laughs> Too late. So don't, Time to go know, back I've, in time. You can, you can now, <laughs> check out the old DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> now you can watch the super mini series, you know, just, you know, just you can, that's the TLDI you know, I've given you there. But all of that, I admire the fact that they embraced a way of doing that that's different to anything else. And I think there's a legacy in this game that starts to sort of, I think at this point, are they realizing maybe that you don't have to make a game because it's got samurais and ninjas and characters in it that they just have to fight all the time, that they can do other things. And later down the line, games do that and. There's an old RPG world that starts to open up on the back of a game like this, maybe. And maybe I'm attributing more to it than uh, it deserves. But it scored 71% in Zap. I think it it was perhaps a little bit mean. Maybe it's about right. I don't know. But 9.95, it's, it's about the right price for a game that's quite complex. But if you'd have handed me this game back in 1986, bear in mind, I was a fan of the, the TV miniseries and the novel even back then. I think I would have, I don't know, I think I might have expected to be fighting more ninjas. I hate yeah. to say so. Maybe I'd have expected an Avenger yeah, yeah, game exactly. more than a Shogun game. But you know what? It is what it is. And uh, if you like Shogun and you've read the novels, I think you'll probably get a little bit more from this than if you watch the TV show. So I don't know. It's just a bit floaty, isn't it? And a bit surreal. So maybe it just missed the mark. But that was my take. No, yeah, anyway. I, think, I think we're kind of in agreement. There's, there's something there, but there's yeah, we are, just a yeah. bit of... The, it, it's, I think it's either going to resonate with you or and and really connect, or you're just going to be a bit bewildered. Yeah, well, I found it hard to win the battles. I don't know about you. When I replayed it this time, when I was going, when people just decided to fight me, or I decided to fight them, um, I found that I didn't know how how you're supposed to do it. I just picked fight. And it, yeah, I went to the sword yeah. icon, and I'm assuming that's what I was meant to do. And then it was like, you know, you, you know, all of a sudden I'd lost, and I was like, all right, maybe I did something wrong. I don't know. Maybe there's. I know that there's. There's a. There is a large fan base for this game out yeah. there. And um, when I did a bit of research, I found that this. This is quite a well loved and respected game for many reasons. And people have written long, 
discussions and long threads on the internet about how you can find your way through and which are the best characters to start with and what you need to do initially and go on do this and do that and find this person and kill that person and do that because that's how you get more followers quickly and so clearly there's mileage in that kind of friend management system <laughs> but uh, maybe you know facebook could take a note from this and do it for real <laughs> So if you want to go influencing people, maybe that's where Facebook got their inspiration for likes and for that kind of thing from, you know, from this early game. I doubt that I very, very much. I doubt but that. No, but but you, you never go. know. Who knows? You never, never know. know. Uh, yeah, so there you go. That's Shogun. I think we're a bit bit, bit nonplussed, but it's a bit strange. Mm. However, probably not so nonplussed as we will be with our final game. I've saved the best to last by some country bloody mile. Graham, tell us about Green Beret. <laughs> I'm lucky, actually, really, aren't I? Because you've got Shogun and i got Green Beret. I'm on purpose. I'm going to come in, in this. on this. Don't worry. Green Beret is a arcade conversion, and I think the arcade conversion was Rush and Attack. And I that's think it, it might have various that's, that's names. Yeah, it was Green Beret over here. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got it's Green Beret here. It's got, it's got various names. But essentially, it's, it's a game. Uh, it's a side-scrolling stab yep. up and you go from left to right, running across a military-esque landscape, stabbing your way and flame-throwing your way through to the end battle. It's a bit like a side-scrolling commando, actually, in some mm. ways. And you get through that level, and you get to the next level, and you know the backgrounds change, um, and I think you're actually infiltrating a military base the further you go in. So the idea is that you're going to, you know, it's, ar- it's, an ar- it's arcade heritage, so go cross the levels. It's a scrolling level. It scrolls, I say, left to right, left to right, mm-hmm. right yeah. to left, left right to, to left. Right. It scroll, it Left scrolls, right. <laughs> and and uh, you can you got you can with the controls you can jump, you can stab, you can use the space bar and the Commodore sixty four to fire a flamethrower, which is a weapon you can pick up along route. There's different enemy types. They jump around, they stab, they shoot bullets, which by the way will kill you and shoot you up the ass <laughs> at the most inopportune moments. Guarantee you that. And that's that's kind of the game. That's the game logic, and that's how the arcade work. All the variations. That's how Greenbury works. That is it. This game on the Commodore 64, I would pitch as possibly one of the greatest arcade conversions of all time on the Commodore 64, because it has everything. The sprites are well animated and the graphics are good. They're not arcade perfect, but the Commodore 64 good. Um, So you've got all the decent backgrounds, all the decent main sprites. There's actually a lot of sprites on the screen at any given time as well, so it doesn't feel like it's one enemy per every two minutes. You've got a good flow of enemies scrolling in from the left and the right, so you get them all over the place. There's missile launcher guys, there's... There's a whole series of different stuff. The graphics are good. It plays like the arcade. So it's got the arcade gameplay. It's got the arcade look. The music is extraordinary for Green Beret. It's extraordinary. There's no other way around that. Um, This is another one where they've gone to uh, Martin Galway and said, Mr. Galway, is there any chance that you could produce some arcade type music for this kind of side-scrolling commando variant that we've got going on? And he's gone, you know what? I'll give it a go. (laughs) So you get the most beautiful... Um, morose, um, sad loading music, I think of all time on the Commodore 64. I don't think anyone would argue with that. The loading music for Green Beret is extraordinary in its kind of, in its kind of sad drifting tone. You know, do, do, do. It's not what you'd expect for a loading music for Green Beret as the kind of image of a Green Beret loads. Then when the game loads in, you've got the kind of variations of the arcade sounds, which are actually pretty much arcade correct, really pushing the SID chip to its ultimate. So we've used many of the mm-hmm. um, interstitials from this game in this very podcast because they're so good. The sound effects are good. The in-game music is good. The loading music is amazing. The high score music is really good. This is the kind of full package. Don't and be, it's don't the kind the title of, screen music. 
yeah, yeah, it's going to say in the title screen music. All it's it's an entire package, and I think sometimes I look at this and think, if only Rambo was this. If only Rambo was this complete in its way, because it's got everything but the game. Rambo is kind of ten percent of everything that Greenberry represents. Greenberry is like the full package, so it's like side scrolling does all of those things. So I really liked. It. I went out and traded my copy of V, which didn't work, <laughs> and I'm just doing air quotes with my fingers there. Didn't work. It it, it displayed a ready run a ready error. It doesn't work. Unfortunately, when they tested it in boots, it didn't. I traded it for Green Beret, and um, it is not a decision to this day. I regret. Bear in mind that I'm a huge V fan. Even now, if I went up in the loft in my house, I've still got my Green Beret cassette because it was a double cassette when you bought it as well. So instead of it being like a single cassette, it was like a bigger mm-hmm. was, tape yeah. case that you got, bigger packaging. It was eight ninety five. It was a Sizzler, ninety three percent. Is that well deserved? I don't know that it's quite gold material because I think I'm not sure what prevented it from being that really in terms of this, but. I think it's genuinely one of the great 64 games up there with Way of the Exploding Fisters, a landmark game in the C64. When it, could, If you ever doubted that the C64 was capable of a really good arcade conversion and you hadn't seen Hypersports, which was actually a really good arcade conversion, again, with Martin Galway music, then this comes along and stamps it once and for all. This was the game that you showed Spectrum owners to go, do you know what? Spectrum's a crap. Check this out. And it really was an eye-opener right from the get-go, right from that moment you put the tape in and that loading music started. And I know for a fact that you agree with me because I think this is one of your favourite games. But I I'm, could be wrong now. could be in a time tunnel. T- you could be wrong. You're not wrong. Um, I like this more than you like this. Um, I think this should have been a gold medal. Exactly. This, okay, so let's just start this where I start this. This is um, this eight... More of my 10 pences in 1985, 1986 in uh, Lucky Las Vegas, which was the arcade underneath Gulliver's Nightclub in Grimsby, where it I grew was. up, than any other game ever made. I could not put enough money into this. I couldn't earn enough. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, they wouldn't pay me more on the paper round, despite me like asking for, oh, can I have a, can I have a, an advance for next week? <laughs> they wouldn't give me it. Um, I put so much money into this in the arcade. When it came to the C64, I was like, oh my God, please be good, please be good, please be good. To say that, you know, that they nailed it is is an understatement. For me, this is, it's my favourite arcade game ever, for one thing. There's something, I don't know what it is, there's just something about running left to right, stabbing people repeatedly, and then burn, burning them alive <laughs> with, um, or with the flamethrowers, the, the constant difficulty. It's, it's, I'm not usually a massive Konami arcade fan. You know, I think Contra is at Konami, I think. Um, Grise or whatever, I think. Yep. And I'm not usually a massive fan of it. They're, they're, I'm more of a Capcom. I kind of generally tend to like the Capcom stuff. But Konami, boom, on this one, they were just... I don't know what it was. I, don't know who, I really should look into who developed this. But it's a perfect, perfect game. And it, for some reason, it just ticked every single box in my head. Then we got the C64 version. As you've already said, the music is incredible. The suite of music, the volume of music, the amount of music in this in this... In this single load, let's not forget here, this is one load. incredible. And not only just one load with all that music, this is one load with all the arcade, all of it, all the levels, everything, all the interstitials, all the cutscenes, all the enemies, everything. There's there's nothing missing. Even the little bit where you run and jump over the fence in between levels, it's all there. It's, you know, the the opening cutscene where they, you know, the guys are struggling, you know, the POWs are struggling. So this is like, you know, um, it's riffing on Rambo, it's riffing on missing in action. 
This is your single guy sent in to, to, to rescue yeah, pre-OWs. It's just perfect. I can't get around how good this was. And when I played this, and, and I played so much of this, I was one of my proudest achievements. I completed this. Some people don't believe it. I did complete this, no cheats, back in the day. And it is rock hard, but I played it so much that, that there was no way I was not going to stop. This is incredible. There's loads of animations as well. There's, I don't know how this fits in 64K. I don't know. There's so many sprites. There's so much going on. I know, the, you know, there's like you said, there's the... There's the normal, uh, normal shooty ones, the blue ones, there's the brown ones just running at you. There's the special, special commanders. There's the karate guys, um, the ones in green. You've got the bits at the end of the levels where they all pile out when the truck goes across. You've got the dogs later on. You've got, you, you've got the uh, bazooka bloke. You've got the different levels. There's different things. You've got the the uh, guys who come down on parachutes. Everything, everything from pretty much everything from the arcade game is here, and it's all perfect. There's a little bit of graphical glitching every now and again. But who cares? It's so much fun to play. It's so good. It's so enjoyable. It's you know, it's the best game Imagine ever made. And I know it's a con- it's I know it it's is. a conversion. And I know we've gone on about Way the Exploding Fist and you were aggrieved with International Karate and we've been so that this is the one that agrees me that this only got ninety three percent because I don't think you could have done anything more with it. And to me it's the perfect arcade game. It's one of my favourite games ever. <laughs> I could wax no, lyrical I about agree. this for, for, for so long, but, you know, we've only got so much time. <laughs> well, there is. There's some interesting things about it, isn't there? So it's a Dave Collier yeah. game, mm-hmm. and that's the guy that made Hypersports, Rambo, Roland's Rat Race, mm-hmm. Terra Cresta, Yeah Kung Fu, Combat School. He was a, you know, a Ocean Imagine stalwart. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let's face it, the guy knew how to make a conversion of her, because even Terra Cresta's amazing, as well as yes, Hypersports. Is, yeah. And, yeah, and we know that Rambo wasn't necessarily complete but rambo was a game is very 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 complete and there's other stuff as well in in amongst of his you know his list of games that he did but you're absolutely right um it was a uh, konami arcade originally so it was made by um konami and obviously released then under license across the various different versions but by a mile the commodore 64 version was the mm-hmm. best conversion of that i think made famous by i have to say i think game aside i think the music really outlives Green Beret as a game. I think it's, I mean, it, it's no small part. And we've seen it with, you know, other titles, with Rob Hubbard titles and with other Martin Galway titles. But the Green Beret music is something very, very unique and special. Outside of the trappings of the arcade style music that was made, everything kind of came together for Green Beret. You know, even the cover art, that was a Bob Wakelin graphic, the, the Green Beret art that was on the cover advert and the tape for Green Beret. So that's Bob Wakelin, a really great... Mm-hmm famous ocean artist everything really pulled together there's so many amazing techniques programmatically that are used by dave collier including a very very clever multiplexing sprite routine that became almost the de facto way to do multiplexing sprites on a commodore 64 and for for want of a quick description it's a way of being able to display more than eight sprites across a screen and using a sort of trick and, and using some kind of, you know, some Vic, Vic chip tricks. So from every technical aspect and every way, they threw the book at this one to make it absolutely arcade perfect. I have to agree. I I have to say, if I look at this game and their review, they are glowing about the game in the review. I struggle to see why it scored 93 and not a gold. I don't quite get that. Um, but we're in an episode and with an issue of Zap where... Tubular Bells scored 44%. This is only 8% better than Superstar Ping Pong. Exactly. And it's not, that's what I mean. Some of their reviews are at the point, we we actually said this in the last two episodes. I have to say that some of the Zap reviews are starting, some of the Zap review scores are not necessarily matching either the review comments 
and or the actual games themselves. So I think Green Beret deserved a much better rap than it got here. I know that they waxed lyrical about the sound and the graphics and everything else. I don't get that where they're coming from. It's not like this game is short or that you could complete it in two minutes like Rambo because it's not like that. It's really nice, like, hard. Arcade difficulty. So for you to have completed this is a real is a real testament to how much you must have played it. Um, I mean, I played this. I played this a lot. I loaded this a lot more for its music. The loading music, I really, I love it to this day. It's, it's the Green Beret loading music is beautiful. And there's an amazing YouTube video of um, uh, Rain. Uh, I want to say Weehan, but I'm, I don't know exactly how you pronounce his surname. So forgive my pronunciation. Doing a live version of the Green Beret track, um, which we maybe post to the maybe post to the um, the website when we get a moment. But just. It's a game that resonates because of its sound and its graphic. And underneath all of that, even if you took that aside, you've got a great, great, great arcade conversion that has everything from the arcade in it. Everything. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's not in this that isn't in the arcade. Nothing. Even the even like the even the backgrounds as well. They look like the arcade. Yes. Um, they do. They look like the arcade. They scroll like the arcade. It plays like yeah. the arcade. You jump like the arcade. You climb the ladders. Your flamethrower works the same way. It's 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 just it's it's really really good. If there was ever going to be a, a list of the games you must play on the Commodore sixty four, if someone said, "Give me ten games that I absolutely must play that would give me all of the aspects of the Commodore sixty four, Green Beret would have to be on that list. It would have to be because it's the full package. And to this day, it remains playable, consistent, orally amazing, graphically brilliant, well programmed. It's it's in my top 10 Commodore 64 games of all time and will remain so forever. Hence the reason I bought it. I didn't invest in games back then unless I really thought there was something special. So, and I hadn't played the arcade as much as you either. So it's a special game, Green Beret, for the Commodore 64, mm. it is. Yeah, no, no two ways around it. It's just it's just amazing. I was waiting for this episode um, and I've... Mm. And it's the cover it's as the well. Cover, it's a great cover as well. It's a really good cover. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's, you know, the close-up of the face and the blood and the bullets... It's a really, really good Oliver Frey cover. It is, and you know the, the review is a bit flippant and green hat and all that. Up, but just it just yeah. It, it, I mean, I'm just looking at some of the screenshots and even just looking at the screenshots. Yeah, like, because you know, let's not forget Steve Wahid. Stephen Wahid did the graphics. He's another Ocean Stalwart. You know, Contra, Arkanoid, Green Beret, Mikey, Grizel, Rambo, Terra Cresta, Yeah Kung Fu. This was a team that had been work, started to you know been working together. The ocean the ocean had assembled that was you know just turning out these titles that looked you know just the business they looked and played you know not, all, not everyone was a massive hit comic bakery was a misstep um and things like that but when they got it right mm. jesus they got it right and i think that this could have been so wrong you ever play the amstrad version i don't normally rag on other versions but um a fr- no, friend of mine I, back then I, had an amstrad I, I only ever played the Commodore 64 version in the arcade the, there, the, my, the, the, the amstrad version had scrolling when you got to the near the edge of the screen and then scroll the next section on that didn't have full screen smooth scrolling so mm. that kind of ruined it it just broke because you need to be you need to be sent a screen you know mario style as you know as what well, well, kind of the scrolling is you start on the left and as you get to the center it scrolls around you it's just perfect it's just a superb superb game and the, the other thing the, the great thing about this is that you know it's not just about this game is not just running left to right you've got to pick the levels you go on jumping climbing avoiding the ladders picking the time when to drop down on people that you know, it's not just stabbing people. You got to time that jump and the stab of the, um, the karate guys, and, and picking out, you know, ducking under the thing, taking out, saving a, a special weapon to take out the the enemy, the mines that lay on the floor and things. Absolutely, it's just, it's just an amazing game. It's an amazing arcade game. It's an amazing conversion. It will 
I, I, you know, I've said before that I think the I thought the Eidolon was probably my favourite game on the system. Going back now, this is the most fun again I've had playing a game. Oh, I was playing this for ages, far too long, <laughs> and, I, and it's I, I play it I play it quite <laughs> a lot from time to time, and I always wax lyrical about it. But this, but for doing it for this, having a real proper look at it again and trying to sort of examine why it is I like it so much. Yeah, yeah, it's, br- yeah. it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant, brilliant arcade game that will never, I will never ever tire of playing. I agree. And you watch it rocket up the charts to number one. Watch it go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there you go. I know that'd be a good one. Go play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to play a Commodore 64 game, if someone said to me, give me a game to play, I'd say go play Green Beret. Yeah. There's, there's, there's not many better. Yeah. Is it the start of the run and gun genre on the C64 well, as well? I think that- it's, I mean, if you think you get this, you're not, you, I think you've got, I mean, this, I'm, I'm not sure the arcade lineage, but this and something like Ghost and Goblins probably share quite a lot of, you know, DNA. Yeah. I know obviously Capcom, um, the Ghost and Goblins, but then yeah. you get things like uh, Contra or Grisor, as it was over here. Yeah, Contra, um, yeah. And, and games like that and Midnight Resistance would then, all, all those kind of things. But the the, be- the thing what I think this game does more than the others, it's, it's the Stabathon. You know, you, you, you got to get up, you got to get up close and personal. It's not about, it's not you about, do. you know, shooting from a distance. Even, you know, even Ghosts and Goblins is throwing, you know, you don't want things anywhere near you. This is about getting up in people's faces and, and, and stabbing them. I sound a bit too yep. happy about getting up in people's face and stabbing them. It's not something I normally do. <laughs> um, so, you know, but in, in context of this game, I think that's what makes this stand out. It, it's that, because it, that, yeah. that risk and reward, you, you've not got much space and time to get the stab right and to get the stab wrong. No. And that's the other thing that this gets no. right under over what Yia Kung Fu didn't do. The collision detection on this, I've never had a problem with it. If I, if I miss no. a stab, it's my Spot fault. On. Yes. And it's the right balance of weaponry that you can find and the omnipresent combat knife that you can use to stab with you do get the flamethrower and the sort of rpg thing and the grenades and there are those things you can find along route and there are ways you can maybe do the game with those but ultimately you're running around stabbing and like you say you've got to time it just right and so many times i <laughs> mistimed it and ended it ended it with that kind of you know yeah, and then and then you even get the do 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 do, do and you get that, and you know, and you want to go back as soon as you as soon as that goes back to that screen, and you've maybe scored a high score. You pumped your letters in, then it's do 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 do. No, and the the guys on the poles kind of struggling, and this is just such a great complete game. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Go play it. Go play it today. Yes, yes, indeed. There you go. That's your uh, that's your games. I always like that's, that's nice to end on a high. That's why I saved that one. We had to it struggle is. through some turgid dross, but it was worth it in the end. Right, that's think that's it. We've got no. There's no budget section this week. There's no uh, crap verts or anything. So I think that's it. I think we're done. We're done. That's it. So uh, yeah, there we go. So we ended on a good one there, Green Beret. What have we looked at this week? Just to sort of say, we have looked at the games uh, Superstar Ping Pong, uh, Sand Fox Strip Poker, Touchdown Football. Yeah. <laughs> Which one was that to? It could be to any of them. Any Core, of them. Groovy Garden. Nothing groovy yeah. about that. Tube of the Bells. P- pointless. Bong. <laughs> Shogun. Um, and the awesome Green Beret. So there you go. Just to say, uh, that's it really. Next week. What have we got coming up next week? Uh, we're going to look at the rest of the games. Quite a bumper crop this week. Uh, this issue, sort of thing, this month. So... It... Sorry, did you say bumper crop or bump of no, crap? bumper crop. A, a bumper oh, crop of okay. games. There's a lot. So next week... Okay. We'll be looking at stuff like Tau Seti, um, mm. 
Uh, like, yeah. le- we'll finally look at uh, if Legend of the Amazon Women was as bad as the advert, mm. the weird and strange infiltrator, and more infiltrating with Saboteur and Nexus. There's a lot of infiltrating mm. going on in this uh, in this episode. Yes, lots of icon-driven yeah. games in the next Indeed. episode. Along with others as well. Um, and, of course, uh, we have actually got a couple of crapverts, and we've got some, and obviously the film and TV stuff going on as well. So on that we note, do. I think we'll finish. So I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zap to the Past, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films, and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.